I'm looking to the left and I see my face. So that means we're live in studio at Locals. And um, this is live with Dave Rubin. And when I told my wife uh, we were doing another interview and it was going to be live in person, she said, well, who's interviewing who? And then I immediately panicked and didn't realize who's going to be interviewing who. And it means that I'm going to be interviewing Dave. We did um, a live one a while back with Barnes. How long ago? Been a long it's time. Been a I long mean, time doesn't make any sense anymore, right? Like what was yesterday seems like four years ago. Four years ago seems like 20 years ago. I don't know. When did I first have you guys on? It's got to be like three years ago. And then you've been you've been on my show many, many times over the years. You were on, on yeah, Friday. I, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, the panels yeah. are fantastic. I've mean, so yeah. been on that a number of times. We did we did the live. It was like you, me, and Barnes. I yeah. read your first book. You've since come up with a second book. Yeah. And it's all that to say when my wife said that, I realized. Uh, this is going to be more interesting in person and I had to do my homework. This is tremendous pressure for you because, you know, some people say I'm the Larry King of a new generation <laughs> and now I'm on the other side of the microphone in a studio that, uh, that I built in essence, I built this company and then we brought these crazy haired people like you and said, do whatever you want with our technology. And you've made quite a success of yourself. It, people don't appreciate that you built this. <laughs> people got a little, they got scared when it merged with rumble. And yeah. Like, and then I think their their concerns have been quelled. And then they got concerned when I went exclusive with Rumble. They're going to say Viva's going to be toned down or controlled, reined in. Uh, uh, you never. know, it, the internet has created this really bizarre set of selective pressures where people say what they want for the most part. Then you get a little pushback. They change what they say. You get a little blowback the other way. You go back to the other thing. People think if you don't do exactly what you want, what they want out of you the second they want it, that you're a sellout or a shill or Control, some other controlled thing. Controlled opposition. Controlled yeah. opposition. The big one, though, I did hear a lot. We got a lot of pushback when we, you know, so we merged locals with Rumble, which to be totally transparent with you, I have no need to be this transparent, but I, I said it on my show and I'll gladly say it here. I did the deal completely for stock. And the reason that I did it was because I believe in the thing. I, we had a all cash offer. I could have walked with a lot of cash, but I believed in what the rumble and still believe in what the rumble guys are doing. And now I consult and guide on stuff that you guys are working on too. You and Barnes in terms of free speech and policies. How can we be more transparent than big tech and all that stuff? Um, but it is kind of funny how the internet operates. Like if you make any little move that they don't expect they come and get you but that's why you just you just have to do what you think is right i mean as a human but i think as whatever the hell it is we are in front of microphones and cameras you just have to do what you think is right let the chips fall where they may and then and then if you make some mistakes along the way hopefully you can clean it up and and go forward well, every, everyone makes mistakes i think yeah. i made a recently made a mistake where i accidentally Ooh. yeah i thought i i had one point retweeted that tweet from the doctor who said it was that tweet that said uh you know even if it turns out the jab is poison i'm glad i would do it again because i was motivated <laughs> about and it turns out the tweet was was inaccurate but you know even in my mistake i said look uh, this tweet i thought this tweet was parody and then when i tweeted i said well I, I got blocked now so now i sort of think it's real and i do think it's real and i guess that's confirmation because i got blocked and then the isn't it funny though because so do you can you're not a journalist do you consider yourself a journalist in any way whatsoever I, I don't but i when i say i'm not a journalist i think i'm like happy gilmore saying i'm not a golfer <laughs> anymore I, I don't consider myself to be a journalist but and i'm I, on the golf course basically well yes but yeah. i think i don't do what journalists would do is is disclose confidential information that i get you know a la james o'keefe or like a journalist go you know secretly get stuff and then go public i, I consider myself an analyst right. but i don't know what the difference is anymore it seems that being a journalist just means telling the world what's going on in unfiltered terms 
So I don't know. I, I, I mixed yeah. conflicted identity. Well, well, I ask you that because I mean, most of the people who consider themselves journalists are not journalists by any standard that any of us knew the word journalist to mean. The idea that you were this impartial lens, so that you know there's there's truth, and then hopefully they can give it to you in in a lens that will make sense for you in your daily life and that's what a journalist is supposed to do they're supposed to be on the ground finding out information virtually everyone at the new york times cnn msnbc all, all the usual places these are not journalists they're activists as you know uh, but i think it's interesting because when you say that that you deleted a tweet and you, you sort of had shamed you know you deleted a tweet because you were misled and blah blah and that's happened to all of us I've, I've retweeted things that turned out not to be true or i've made a mistake on this or that and it's like I don't consider myself a journalist. I, I'm an interviewer, and now I tell people what I think for a living. People keep saying to me I'm a journalist, which I think is funny. When I when I went to Twitter with uh, with Elon a couple of weeks ago, people kept responding like, "Dave Rubin's a journalist. See, that's what a journalist does." And I was like, well, "I don't know that I'm a journalist, but I'm just not a dick. Like well, I just they, told the truth." No, but that, <laughs> you know? And I always I consider you to be a journalist. So I guess I, you, know, you sit down and you interview people unfiltered, and you let them tell their story and not their truth. But you you. You ask them questions and you let them get out there in a way that other journalists wouldn't. The New York Times wouldn't. I can think of a number of guests who are invited on your show that are not necessarily invited elsewhere. And you let them speak and you let the world hear their, their story, which I think is journalism. Well, I guess I guess that's a form of journalism. I, I think what I've tried to do as an interviewer, which is first where most people know me, even though that's really not what I'm focused on these days. You know, I'm doing my daily show and I like you know, going through the news in a usually a somewhat silly manner and making fun of the ladies on The View and go, whatever's going on with CNN and everything else. But all I really tried to do was just sit down and talk to people and, and not judge them for the hour. Just really be like, hey, what do you think about this kind of stuff? And for that, I got I got obviously a lot of uh, credit and, and fame or whatever the hell that is. But I was doing it early on. Now everybody and their brother has a podcast and is interviewing and all those things. So I find it personally, I find it a little less interesting. So we've been doing a little bit less, you know, as we roll into an election year, I want to get the, the heavy hitters on, but we're doing a little bit less of that. I guess that's a form of journalism, but journalism to me is like, is really going where the story leads no matter what. And that is not what we, when Don Lemon is on CNN telling you he's a journalist, Don Lemon's not a journalist. Don Lemon is a guy that they put in a fancy suit on TV and they spray his hair on and give him whatever the, the color is they're giving to his face that day. If you ever notice, his color is very different each and every day. It's a little I, darker, a little lighter. Chalk it up to the makeup and chalk it up to the whatever. Whatever, they're whatever they're trying to subtly communicate. But the idea that he's a journalist, he's not a journalist. They write the stories for him. He's got the thing in his ear. They can tell him what to say. And you know that happens every now and again on CNN. He's not a journalist. He's a, he's a TV performer. They're, they're, Just be what you are is what I'm saying. Well, Just, they, they, you know. I think we now can all appreciate they're not journalists. They're propagandist activists, yeah. mouthpieces. And I said I've been making the joke since um, since the protest. In, Wait, in sorry, Canada. there's no manly way to, to, to drink out of it. <laughs> that is a paper mm. straw. You, you oh have about Isn't that depressing? Even in Florida, we have we have paper straws. Canada, Even in Florida. Canada has outlawed plastic cutlery. So it's it's beautiful. You don't you. you we, I was eating a poutine. With it was wood, it was wood cutlery, and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work. And I'm not sure that the carbon footprint of wood cutlery is any better than plastic. But it's who knows? Um, now hold on a second. Yeah, okay, actually, back up sorry, all the sorry, way. Sorry, being to the a very difficult guest here. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say one thing. No, the tweet. I didn't delete yeah. the tweet because I think deleting the mistake mm -hmm. a looks culpable, and b uh, basically deletes what would otherwise be 
exculpatory evidence. Like if I delete the tweet, people can make up what the tweet said. Right. And I, even my mistake tweet wasn't even that bad. I retweet the mistake tweet with the correction and an, an apology to the person who. Right. Well, it's funny because we're all playing by our own set of rules, right? You're you're trying to play it with your own set of ethical rules on Twitter, right? I'm trying to play with my ethical set of rules. Then you have Twitter itself, which on, let's just go pre-Elon, had the most psychotic unethical rules possible and disproportionate and completely seemingly arbitrary, although we're learning and not so arbitrary. So it was like, we're all trying to apply a certain view of the world that we have. Like you're trying to put a view of the world that you have that, okay, I want to be honest about what I do. If I make a mistake, I want to show a paper trail and be contrite about it and have a mea culpa, which is totally like worthy of applause and wonderful. But like 99% of the people on there it's just to troll. It's just to destroy someone and everything else. So we all get stuck in this weird meta world where we're applying our ethics and our philosophy onto something that is extremely shaky and unstable. Well, that's it. And, and the risk, or I've noticed that nobody wants uh, a sincere apology anyhow. Nobody wants to make one because <laughs> they will be weaponized even yeah. when they're sincere. So people are reluctant to even apologize. And yeah. the, the goal is to try to not become the heartless monster and refuse to apologize because, you know, bad faith actors are going to do it. And, you know, that's why when I watch, I read your Twitter feed and you tweet things which nobody disagrees with, but in a manner yeah. that people might disagree with. And I think I've now gotten past that hump of um, being reluctant to tweet the obvious, maybe in a bit of a provocative manner, but Oh, me, own, meaning that own. I'm more aggressive on Twitter than maybe I would be in real yeah. life. Is that what you mean? No, 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 not at all. As in uh, tweeting things uh, with provocation, yeah. but polite provocation, but in a manner that I wouldn't necessarily do in, the, in that I, there's certain jokes I wouldn't make. Right. And I've always had the feeling, do you, do you ever feel that? Is there have, Has there ever been one tweet that you put out there that you genuinely felt bad about, either because of the tweet or because of the reaction that came from it? I'm sure the answer to that question is yes. Off the top of my head, I can't think of one right this moment, but there have definitely been times over these. I really will try to think of one um, where I where I maybe was a little heavy handed or like a little, you know, sometimes it just gets you when you're in this like, it's hard for people to remember that Twitter at one time was really this fun, cool place where there, it was so interesting that you could connect with people that you admired, liked you know, athletes that you love, like there was something really cool happening there that's devolved into something very different now. And I say that with all due irony, because I'm obviously still on there and just had this experience with Elon and I still want this thing to work. But, you know, sometimes when you're trapped in that game of political fighting with people, you're going to be a little bit overboard. So I'm sure without question, like the researchers, the cracked researchers of the internet can definitely find me saying some things that whatever, you know, now I try to do most of my attacks in a way where it's like with clown emojis or poop emojis. I'm big on the clown emoji. Cause like, I don't even feel like I, you know, if Adam Kinzinger or Liz Cheney or just, you know, one of these CNN hacks, Stelt or any of these, it's like, I don't even need to bother. I, I'm well past the point where we have to explain why you people who have lied about everything are worthy of, of being explained to one more time. Right. So now I'll just go clown emoji. Is that, is that the most like highbrow way of dealing with all this? Honestly, it might be because otherwise the reason we're always in the descent to hell with all these people is they lie about everything. And I literally mean everything. Every major story that has come across in America in the last five years from Russia collusion 
to the Covington kids are racist, to Brett Kavanaugh's a serial rapist, to Donald Trump, very fine people on both sides, to the vaccines work that we can do this all day long. Right. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. Jesse Smollett was you know, going to be hung. All of those things. They've lied about everything. So if all we can do is every time Stelter lies is just go, but Brian Stelter, you didn't you made a mistake because. No, at some point, it's just all I got left for you clowns is the clown emoji. And thank you, whoever created the clown emoji. The, the clown or the poop. No, or, or like the question is this. Yeah. People often tell me, Viva, you're trying to rationalize with pathological liars. Mm -hmm. My justification is saying I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to anybody else yes. who's willing to listen through them. What I'm noticing, it's not it's part of the tactic and it's as old as, as time itself is that um, the liars then try to weaponize the the form in which the message is sent yes. to say you now are agitating a mob, instilling hate, and creating the risk of violence. And and I don't mean you pointing fingers, yeah. like all of us. Well, look, I I have no doubt that if someone was to look at whatever the breadth of my work was, let's say from five years ago to the last year, I am more combative now. There is no doubt about it. I am more direct now. I think that's also more refined now. I would liken that a little bit, and I guess there's a, a bit of a trap here. But when you see, when you, when people go, well, I, I like Trump's policies, but I didn't like his tactics. I didn't like the way he tweeted. Well, first off, saying to the guy who did the thing that no one said could be done, I just, could you just behave a little more like we'd behave is a little nuts, right? Like it was all part of the package that allowed him to become successful. But partly I always had sympathy for Trump when it even came to the over, over the board stuff. And like the crazy, you know, Ted Cruz's wife is ugly and like all the nutty stuff. I had some level of sympathy because I was like, man, this guy, if you've you've probably seen him. Have you ever seen any of those interviews on, in the 80s? Trump with Oprah and Trump with Phil Donahue and Trump with Letterman I, and all and absolutely. Stern. They all loved him. How, and he Howard was, said he loved having him as a guest. He was entertaining. He was and he felt bad for having humanized Trump because he sort of right. took some form of credit for him getting elected, which is really pathetic on the on the part of Howard Stern because Howard Stern, who once was like the great free speech warrior, has become such a hysterical, neurotic lunatic. That's so sad for me. I mean, he was one of my heroes. I worked at SiriusXM. One of my like original dreams when I started doing stand-up and all this was to be on Howard Stern. Like it, it, it's still, it's it's a literal dream. I mean, something that I dream about still to this day that I'm on that show. It's, so that's kind of sad to me. But anyway, I over time I became sympathetic to, to Trump's sort of braggadocious lunacy because it was like he was in the machine with liars all the time. And if you watch those interviews in the 80s, he's very soft actually and, and quite thoughtful and interesting. And there's something bizarrely human about him. But over time, you get grinded and grinded and grinded by the worst people known to man, you know, government middle management losers. And you start doing something and then it fundamentally changes you. Now, I would say just one caveat to that. His behavior in the last couple of weeks related to DeSantis has been absolutely inexcusable. And there is a limit to, to everything. Everything gets to a limit. There might have been a reason five years ago to lock her up with Hillary and all that stuff. But to be screaming about DeSantis as if he's a child molester and a rhino globalist. It's like, dude, the magic tricks, like we've been through this bag already. You got you got you've got to pull out a different rabbit this well, time. You know, man. This we were supposed to talk about this yeah. actually on the panel last Friday. Yeah. This, oh, right. We, we paused on it because yeah. the other the, uh, the hearings were going so well. Yeah. Um, and I know even within our locals community, there is a bit of a I say a, a rupture. In I have of, it, too. It's, it's very sorry, between support for Trump, yeah. support for DeSantis and also critique of Trump, even if you support him. Sure. For what he's doing to DeSantis. Uh, 
He called them Ron de Sanctimonious. I mean, there's the there's the, the fighting, the jostling for for power. Should uh, DeSantis run? Do do you have any information, knowledge, opinion as to whether or not DeSantis will in fact run for president in 2024? So 100% clear, honest, concise, all that stuff. As I can tell you, I have no idea. I obviously know the governor fairly well at this point. I saw him two, three weeks ago. I'm doing something with him next week. I do a lot of stuff with the campaign. I, I know he has great people around him. I know virtually everybody. I think they're competent and good. I have never gotten one hint, one wink, one nod, whatever. My own inclination is that he is going to because it does seem like this is his time. But I'll tell you, I, I, on my show today, I made the case against DeSantis running, which is I live in Florida. And the, the federal government is so screwed up right now and it is so out of control and that swamp may be so destructive and acidic and corrosive that I don't know that the best thing for me and my partner and my children's life is to send out our best guy to the thing that most likely will destroy him. That's one argument against DeSantis. Now, I, I can, of course, I can spend five hours making great arguments for him that I can almost do the exact reverse of that, which is this is our chance to send out our best, most competent, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the barbarians are at the gate. And what I fear Trump is doing right now is DeSantis is our best warrior. He really is. He's done everything so right here. You moved here from Canada because part, large part because of him. I moved here from Cali, large part because of him. We, I'm sure we both know dozens of other people that have done the same thing. And the amount of emails I get from people that are even in the process of doing it now. And what I fear Trump is doing is basically the barbarians are at the gate. We have our best warrior. We've been preparing him. He's been going through the machine. He's doing it right. He's doing everything we've asked. And what Trump is doing is kind of chiseling at his Achilles heel, just being like, ah, if I can't be the guy everybody loves, then nobody will be, which was sort of what Cobra Commander used to do at the end of every G.I. Joe. Remember at the end, or Megatron used yes, to do it at the end of Transformers. Let me refresh if my I, memory. If I can't have it, nobody can. That's how every Transformers or G.I. Joe ended. You know, they'd be about to win, then the Joes would come in or the Autobots would come in, and then they would try, to, they would destroy the very, the thing that whatever it is, they, the weather machine or whatever. And I think there's some level of that going on with Trump. It's like, he sort of is like, if I can't, if I'm not the guy, then I'll gladly burn the whole thing down. And I just don't like those the sanctimonious. Why? Well, come the on, sanctimonious, come on. I, mean, I could understand the, a bit of the, the nicknaming because he, he did it to everybody. Sure, but it doesn't work. But the, no, well, it doesn't work for everybody. And it's certainly, I don't know what would make Ron uh, DeSantis sanctimonious in in, in He's in actually been the reverse. I mean, Trump, if you want to, again, and I like Trump and I like his kids and I've interviewed him and I consider myself friends with, with Junior and with Ivanka and Eric a little bit less, but I mean, I know them. But like Trump is sanctimonious, you know, DeSantis, what has DeSantis done that is sanctimonious? If we, if we want to get the Google I definition of sanctimonious, I couldn't, I, couldn't I couldn't come up with anything, yeah. let alone the accusation of, of, of the suggestion of grooming. And from what I understood is the best evidence of that, that there's a picture of him drinking a beer with, 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 with kids three, that he, with, well, with they all look roughly the same age and it's unclear whether it's a beer and it's just, none of it makes any sense. It's from some random account. He's not a, like, it's just stupid. And even the fact that, that I even showed that picture on my show today and that you even mentioned it here, I actually felt kind of gross after because I was like, why am I giving this any air? I, I, I looked at it. And yeah. I said, first of all, if the worst thing is back in the day, I mean, how long? This will be 20 years ago. Yeah. The idea of a professor maybe having a beer with students while the students are, doesn't seem bad by today's standards, but let alone by the standards of the time. Yeah, sure. And unless there's some better accusation, like are have been leveled against Justin Trudeau about 
potentially inappropriate relationships with students and potential NDAs, which none of it has been substantiated, but those rumors have lingered for a long time. I didn't even understand what the basis of the but also look, was. look, Trump has been photographed with Epstein, you know, Trump grab him by the pussy, like all the, that's what I'm saying. These tactics won't work. If you want to beat DeSantis, let's say Trump is really, I am the best guy for the job. I know how to drain the swamp like nobody else. I'm willing to do what must be done. Let's say that's, that's his true feelings about this. And it might well be, then figure out another way to beat him. But if your plan is I'm going to destroy the guy who is protecting the Republic, which basically DeSantis is doing by showing Florida still standing as an America that, that you probably envied as a child in Canada and that I, the America that I grew up in that barely exists anymore. If your goal is I'm going to take this guy out in the most grotesque fashion possible, I, I just don't know how I could support you. Yes, will I support you over Biden at the end? Yes, but like, if you have to do it that way, we, we have a much bigger set of problems, I would say. Well, this actually, this is a good segue into this, and we're going to get into the Twitter stuff because yeah, that's where I spent most of my homework researching the infighting. Yeah. I, I spent the better part of coming down here listening to two podcasts. It was a two-part miniseries uh -oh. on Co. In, I keep screwing it up. Co Intel Pro. Yeah, which I so stupid. I know I've seen the name for so long. I thought it was like had to do with like a, a laundromat. I was like I was reading Cointel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm reading how they were, you know, the FBI intelligence agencies were causing infighting among activist organizations, mm -hmm. spying on them, doing all sorts of stuff to sabotage from the inside. Yep. And now we're living through, on the one hand, the Trump DeSantis, although DeSantis really hasn't been punching back. No, uh, he's just I think been, been kind playing, of, yeah, he's I think he's played much better than Trump just, you know, flailing away like a, yeah. I, won't, you know, I won't use uh, inflammatory rhetoric, but no, I don't very, think Trump has come off looking better as a result of this. People right. are defending him who support him, which is not the, the good thing. But you got Trump going after DeSantis. And then within the conservative world, yeah. one, one scandal or one drama after another of, of maybe it's more meaningful for me because I live on the interwebs. My wife says nobody knows half of the stuff you're talking no, about. No, it's important stuff. Whether, whether you got, go ahead. The, uh, the, well, Daily Wire uh, scandal. Yeah. Then you had, what was the second one? Well, you're talking about Daily Wire Crowder. Daily Wire clear, Crowder yeah. infighting. Then you got Project Veritas, then you got Project the Veritas. going on over there. Yeah. Then you got the Eliza Blue, which is causing a rift between Tim Poole, who's either seriously or not seriously contemplating retiring uh, the court. You got infighting among traditional conservative entities. You've been around this for longer than I have. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen anything like this on this scale? And do you think COINTEL 2.0, COINTEL Pro 2.0? Um, it's weird because it does feel like it's all happening right as let's say the center right or whatever you want to call all of us are roughly part of right is like we're, we're starting to gain momentum. Cancel culture seems to have eaten itself. You know, no one's really buying the social justice stuff anymore. Like they're not funny. They're not interesting. They're not creative. Like there does seem to be a shift in things. And then suddenly all of these things happen. You know, I would generally, I would do a Carl Sagan on this extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So like, you know, was somehow, did government agents somehow convince Crowder to record phone calls to release against the Daily Wire? Like probably a bit much. I'm not there yet. But, <laughs> so. but, but the general theme, well, the one that I would say is sort of the most conspiratorial and I don't have enough information on this and I'm totally speaking out of school. I'm just talking about timing. The, the Project Veritas one seems very crazy to me because they, they dropped this absolutely staggering, unbelievable uh, video, you know, their guerrilla style video of the Pfizer executive basically saying, yeah, we're doing gain of function. And in essence, we're trying to invent new diseases. 
which is what we've all sort of, you know, all us crazy crackpots on the internet have been saying for a while. And then two weeks later, there's this plan, you know, this, this lawsuit. And now it looks like he's been already removed if I'm not mistaken, or it's happening right now. Uh, James O'Keefe, obviously yeah. that one seems really weird, but then it's like, so were people inside Veritas waiting to take out James O'Keefe. The, the one interesting thing beyond like the obvious time part of this, I, I'm always interested in how the media covers or does not cover something. So the media completely ignored the story that Veritas broke, right? It was totally. Not, there was one article in the Daily Mail uh, deleted within a few hours of publication where they just went yeah. through the expose. Right. Archived in time. But, so, that's, yeah. so that to me is incredible. So, okay, so CNN ignores it, MSNBC ignores it, the Times ignores it, blah, blah, blah. But then when it's time to go after James O'Keefe, everybody covers that. And that is one of the things that I find amazing. It's sort of like when Elon Musk bought Twitter and everyone's, and then a week later, Elon Musk isn't doing anything about Twitter's child porn problem. And then it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. First off, he is. He actually is doing more than anyone's done. But were you guys talking about Twitter's child porn problem before Elon bought it? You did not care about it before. Now you're just trying to figure out a way to take him out. So it's like you just have to figure out how to learn those games, learn the games that they play and understand when they ignore something. This story right now about East Palestine in, in Ohio, it's this explosion. Has this been on CNN or New York Times or I, I don't judge the the blue haired crowd. Um, yeah, you don't. Well, not in that way. But there's yeah. a lot of people in the blue haired crowd, young generation, whatever they're called, Gen Z, the, the people who would you would typically expect to be on on libs of TikTok yeah. or be found out on libs of TikTok, um, putting out videos on TikTok, yeah. ironically enough, about how the media is not talking about. It. I, I saw a this toxic, one blue haired yeah, yeah. I put it out this morning. Yeah, but there's, there's a bunch now and. It's an amazing thing what the media ignores. The media outright ignored the Project Veritas expose. Then yep. a number of the who I believe could be, eh, they're not paid by anybody, but you know, people saying it's a fake story. The guy's a total schnook. He, he made it all up. He was lying to impress a date. Yeah. And then Pfizer press release comes out. And, they and nobody it. talks about it. They admit, <laughs> right. they, they well, they admitted it. it in the press release. Yeah. Still nobody talks about it. And they still haven't talked about it. Well, but Project Veritas and James O'Keefe, bad man, hard employee, to, hard employer to work for. We need a phrase for this, right? The way, I mean, this would sort of be memory holing. It's something like that, right? Because, you know, when I did, I know you want to talk about it a bit, but when I went to Twitter and I talked to Elon and then I released that thread, it was pretty wild stuff. Like the fact that he was admitting or, or not admitting, he was allowing me to tell people what the truth was, which is that they are finding stuff deep within the code attached to specific accounts in terms of how they shadow man, you would think that the media would be interested in that. The same media who for four years under Donald Trump told us that Russian bots operating on Twitter and Facebook had, had tricked us related to the election, right? So they were allowed to question the election. Then, then we got uh, Biden. Now you can't do it anymore. But you would think if they were impartial, if they were journalists, they might go, Boy, you know, for four years, we were talking about this Russian bot thing on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, now this guy, Dave Rubin, and I know he's a right-wing maniac. We don't really like him. And we don't like Elon Musk, even though we loved him a few months ago. But now he's a right-wing maniac, too. We don't love him. But the idea that he's releasing information, that there is problems with the code re related to who gets information, out of what, that might be worth covering. But instead, literally nothing. And that, again, is what they do with everything. Well, I say there's literally nothing because it incriminates. It, incre yes. it, it, it incriminates yes. them. They were pushing the Russia. It's, it, it is a hoax. It's like it is a hoax. People it is don't a hoax. appreciate this. There are still a, 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 too many people who believe there was some legitimacy to it. You couldn't make a lie that big up without a portion of it being true. Yeah. The only portion of it being true is that people were working with foreign entities. It just happened to be the, the DNC <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the media. Yeah. Um, 
they ignore it. And I found this out in other respects. They ignore it. Um, but they're going to ignore this because it incriminates them. And then, the, and then you know, go sort of full circle. How, how do you deal with the media that ignores stories that incriminate them without being a little, without being a little edgy and in your face? Uh, if you found the solution to that. Uh... No, well, I think that gets us to where we started, which is that's why now I'm sort of more directly combative or it's more about mocking or even literally an hour ago, I got my assistant forwarded me an email from NewsGuard. Do you know what NewsGuard oh, yes, is? Yes, yes, they determine. And, uh, yes, they the determine what's true. Sense. and So NewsGuard, get this. Oh, you were on the show. This one's related to you. Yeah. So on Friday on my show, this is wild. This just tells you everything you need to know about all of this. On Friday on my show, I had you, I had Marissa Streit, who is the CEO of PragerU, and I had uh, David Sachs, who is former CEO of PayPal, big VC tech guy helping Elon uh, restructure Twitter right now. Uh, if you remember, Marissa mentioned that she's been getting guff from Newsmax over PragerU, and they've been going after them and a whole bunch more, and are they funded by the government and everything else. I've never mentioned Newsmax on my show ever before this. This morning, my assistant gets an email from Newsmax. Newsmax or NewsGuard? Uh, I'm sorry, from NewsGuard. Okay. NewsGuard, thank you for clarifying. From NewsGuard, not Newsmax. They've been perfectly fine to me. They're not liked by NewsGuard, but that's all. They were like number one misinformation on NewsGuard's website. Anyway, I had never mentioned NewsGuard on my show before. It's mentioned on Friday, Monday morning, today, my assistant gets an email from someone at NewsGuard. They are now looking into the veracity of factual information related to podcasts, and they're going to be doing a special on the Rubin Report, and they want us to comment on on the record. And if I have my phone on me, if you uh, oh, please, allow me. The question is going to be this. Well, are you going to comment on the record, so, knowing that whatever you say is going to be spun against? So I said to my assistant, I said, don't respond yet. Let me think. And then I Googled the, the kid who reached out. It's, it's a kid. He looks like he's 22. His name is Zach Fishman. So I tweeted out, I said, hi, Zach Fishman. My assistant passed along your email, so wanted to go on the record for you and NewsGuard as requested. And then in quotes, who on the government instructs your policies? And where do you get your funding? Your mafia tactics won't work on me. Print that, it's on the record. Poop emoji, clown emoji. <laughs> so did he write back? He has not, well, he hasn't responded yet. My internet's off right now. Uh, but but he specifically in the email said that any communication we have is on the record. So he has a duty now to print that, right? Now we know he won't, obviously, but but that's how you beat these guys. Well, Enough been, of this nonsense. It has now been printed. Yeah. And it will be for NewsGuard to now, uh, maybe I'll get in, uh, a request for a comment from NewsGuard. Uh, they and, could be looking into you. I mean, you were on the show, man. Oh, no, you were I, on the show. I've been looked at from the Canadian media, W5, when they were looking into Rumble. And I did not know that they were going to use me as a piece in their propaganda war against rumble i learned afterwards when they even no matter how much you say they'll find something to try to what, what channel that was cbc that or what was that w5 that was wild because as you may remember a week or so before that hit piece came out that you were quoted in but i'm sure they i have no doubt that they fiddled around with things that you uh, said yeah. and you uh, actually if i remember correctly you thought it wasn't absolutely horrible but it was it was tilted right the, uh, the the piece itself because the, they the did this itself. whole piece on rumble yeah, I, I found yeah. the most ridiculous thing was the suggestion that a there are more violent comments in the in the comment section on rumble than on youtube not, which is insane which is it's mathematically not just insane, insane. It's, it's it's a stupid affirmation yeah but you can and then they cherry picked one and, and asked me do i not feel responsible <laughs> for the violent you know i don't i didn't even see the comment do i not feel responsible for any violent comments in the comment section that would be like me blaming aoc for all the horrible things that people say about me on twitter but you know the thing Which is, is probably, I, would, maybe I would have an easier time blaming AOC when Max right. Water comes right. out and says you got to get in their faces their and harass face. them. That 
I can see that. You know, someone says, yeah, I'm going to get in their face and harass them. Yeah. Some not knowing how comment sections work is, is just, it's pretending to be stupid for the sake of misleading other people. But yeah, that was the only thing that I thought they took well, unfairly out of To tell you a little bit about, I don't want to get too lost in this because it's inside baseball, but a few weeks before the hit piece came out, I happened to go to the Rumble offices, which were being built. It was a building under construction, so there was no security. The doors, I don't even think were on the hinges yet. I mean, it was that level of construction. And I went with the CEO of Locals and with and Rumble. We walk in and there's construction guys there and whatever. There's no security or anything. And then out of nowhere, this girl like pops out of a corner with a document, several pages. I'm from CTV blah, 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 and, and answer all these questions and on the record. Blah, blah. And, and it was like, man, this is what you guys do. You guys, there was no evidence that we were going there that day. Nobody even knew. I had just got to Florida, I think. Like nobody knew they were stalking the building waiting for either me, I'm, I'm the public side of it, but but Chris, who's the CEO of Rumble, or Asaf, who's the CEO of Locals, waiting to pounce. And then it was a list of the most ridiculous questions. And we need answers on all of this in two days. And it was like, I, I think I basically said to her, you have to leave this building. You're you not invited I here. say like and Canadian it. media might not appreciate trespass laws and, and other yeah, dynamics yeah. of living in Florida. Yeah, yeah. but I, I knew about that. It was uh, stalking you, stalking yeah. Chris, stalking Rumble, and then when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, other more meaningful issues, like whether or not Pfizer is actually engaging in, no, in some form of- couldn't care less. Couldn't, couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, but this, look, we may not get into this. We're going to segue yeah. into it directly right now. Yeah. You, you went to San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting this up between San Francisco. I like the way you San, said that. San Francisco. Yeah. It's almost to hard Francisco. to say because it's so horrible. Well, there, yeah. I, I saw the images of it. Now, I think the last time I was even on the West Coast, it was years ago, but if yeah. I'd been to San Francisco, it was- 20 years ago for yeah. a day. Um, first getting into what's going on in San Francisco as a city, as a, as a, as a failed city. Yeah. Is it beyond, is, let me rephrase. It is, is it even a question now as to whether or not it is a failed city and is it beyond uh, salvaging? It is unimaginably horrible. I am not being facetious or cheeky or anything else. Uh, first off, so you haven't been there in 20 years. I was last in San Francisco uh, it was the week that lockdowns happened. I know that because we were trying to raise money for locals and I had to go to Silicon Valley the week that the market was crashing, everything, the worst possible time to raise funds, but we got there and, and actually we were able to pull some stuff together. It, it kind of worked out. But even in the, in the subsequent two and a half years, it has taken a downturn that is unimaginable. The videos that I posted that I'm sure most of your viewers have seen on Twitter or elsewhere, um, it was like a zombie apocalypse. It, it genuinely felt like The Walking Dead. There are gangs, it's not even gangs, because that feels directed. There are just droves of sort of mindless, what look like zombie people. I mean, drool and blood and goo and dirty clothes and so, like ass hanging, yeah. Needles. Oh, waste. needles everywhere. Everywhere, and I'm telling you, it was everywhere in the city. A lot. I saw a lot of pushback on Twitter. People say, oh, you're just looking in this two-block radius. No. I, the thing is, when I was meeting with Elon, which is why I was there, uh, they kept pushing the meeting back. So, so literally, both times I met with him turned out to be after midnight. So I had plenty of time during the day, especially on the second day. So I was just like, all right, I'm just going to wander around. I haven't been to San Francisco a while. It was kind of pleasant out. Um, I walked and walked and walked and walked. The equivalent of miles, which is not easy to do in San Francisco. It's very hilly. It was everywhere. I had to go get uh, my sunglasses broke. So I was going to a sunglass hut to get, I'm cramping for my sunglasses. They're not here. Um, so I, sunglass hut, I think it's on Market, no, not Market Street, Union Square or something like that, Union Station. It's a nicer part of the city. It was everywhere. 
And what's also interesting about it is if you get a block suddenly, literally, I mean, one block where there's not just 30 homeless people doing drugs, uh, there's either a dead, literally I like a seemingly dead person on the floor or there's garbage everywhere. Or this was the other thing that I noticed. Everyone there looks terrified. Everyone. And, and you mean not the homeless, not the drug people, the not, and civilian, the, uh, the civilian, let me not use uh, anything that can be misconstrued, okay, but still so nice. The non-homeless nice. population, the home, the, the employed population, the employed, seemingly functional population, every single person. I mean, terrified. People will not look at you. Everyone is just kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm about to lose my wallet. Every, every restaurant looks dirty. I, so I needed to go somewhere for dinner because, again, my, these meetings kept getting pushed. So I'm looking at some restaurants and everything looked disgusting. Oh, and also everyone's wearing masks too, which was another, which in this case I could understand because you just don't want like the stench of whatever the well, half to, dead. To the extent you can still smell through the mask. Yeah. It's an illustration that maybe they're not as effective exactly, as exactly. the micro particles. But I was like, yeah. all right, I got to go to dinner. Let me, and where can I go? I can't find anything decent. So I was like, I'm going to find literally the fanciest steak joint because that's got to be on a decent street. That It has to be. So have you ever been to Mastro's steak joint? Like there's one in Malibu I used to go to. This is like a primo top of the line steak place. I, I'm sure it's thought of as like, you know, like a list. I walk over there, disgusted. Oh, the video that I took where you see yep. the mobs of people that was about three blocks away. So I'm, I'm walking through that thing. And then I go and, and they have an awning outside Mastro's and there's four guys cooking what I assume was meth or crack or whatever you might cook. And I was like, okay, not going there. So, and that was it. I'm so neurotic that I would be nervous about inhaling some fumes and then maybe having some sort of fentanyl oh, overdose. That's I'm, funny. I'm not even saying it as a joke. Like I wasn't that I wasn't nervous about inhaling the drugs, but I wasn't nervous. I, I didn't want to inhale the stench. There is a there is a stench of quasi death poop. How did, so how did you didn't go in? So you didn't get to ask the 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 the, deer, no. the the owner like how do you survive and who comes in here and do they have armed guards letting them in and how are it they is, not allowed like asking them to move and what what everyone feels about the failed city like well you know one of the interesting things is that you do see some cops there but they're doing nothing they're doing nothing like think about it it's not if you have all these homeless people doing drugs right there they're breaking the law you are not allowed to cook and or smoke crack or fentanyl or whatever on the street and the cops see it and they do absolutely nothing the twitter offices are about a block away from i think it's the san uh san francisco opera house i might be called something else but the opera building whatever it is like, and I was, as I walked by it, I was thinking, man, and I'm going to guess that 20 years ago, or even maybe 10 years ago, there used to be people that would show up in tuxedos and women in gowns, and they would go see the opera, or they'd go see the Philharmonic or something of that nature. There is zero chance that that happens anymore. I cannot imagine someone saying, I am going, we're going to go have a nice evening. You're going to put on your tux and I'm going to wear a gown, or you're going to put on your fancy watch and blah, blah, blah. So it is, it is an absolute city in in disastrous dissent and that cannot be disconnected from the fact that gavin newsom was mayor there he was mayor there he had a uh he had a 10 year plan to re remove that, homelessness that was, that was the video that you've seen like the video a clip out of robocop yeah not in the 1980s yeah. <laughs> a 10 year plan yeah and it was 15 years ago by the way um it's 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 madness. So Newsom was the governor. Newsom was the, the mayor, mayor of San Francisco, San Francisco and, now and now he's the governor of California. Yes. And Democrat I mean, privilege. It's the only privilege that exists in America. If you're a Democrat, you can ruin everything and you will work your way up. No, to no accountability. Now, I understand also that they have some lax laws on shoplifting. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, you can which, steal. Uh, the, 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 the criminality that you see has been decriminalized of sorts. So I guess in a way you get to reduce the you get to reduce crime um by by eliminating the crimes isn't it brilliant
isn't it only only a Democrat could come up with something <laughs> and, like that? And you that. get to create equality by destroying the city and making everyone equally impoverished. Nine hundred and fifty dollars. You know that you are allowed to steal nine hundred and fifty. They have this in L.A. too. Nine hundred and fifty dollars worth of stuff, and they will not prosecute you. That means quite literally, Biba, you can walk into Best Buy. I asked my man Connor. He's my video game guy. I said, "What's a PlayStation Five going for these days? About four or five hundred bucks. They ain't yeah. cheap." But that means you could walk into Best Buy, steal a PlayStation 5. Games are going for about 70 bucks a pop. So let's say you get about five games. Now you're about 850. You could maybe push that to six games. And then you're right at that 950 level. And you can walk out and you will not be prosecuted. And then what it says to the, to the decent citizens of society who don't want to jump turnstiles, who actually are willing to pay to play, you know, for uh, Madden 95 or Madden. Madden 23 or whatever. I'm still on Tecmo Bowl from yeah. Nintendo. Oh, man. Those, oh, remember, uh, remember LT on the original Tecmo Bowl on the Giants? Uh, oh, he was unstoppable. Me, Lawrence Taylor. Come on, think. man. Yeah, of course I remember. No, I yeah. don't remember that oh. level of detail, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying to the, to the civilized people of a society is not only are we not going to prosecute crimes, but we are, we, in essence, we will punish you for believing in the system. We will punish you for your good behavior because things will go up in price because other people are stealing them. And you're just a schmuck. You're just a schmuck. Why are you buying that freaking card for the Metro when you know you could just hop that thing? Like, And then you just encourage more and more people to do it. And that's why all of these Democrat-run cities are just, as I always say, they are just on their descent to hell. They have been there before, but I don't see a way they, I don't see a way that San Francisco, LA maybe, but probably not. L, LA just seems about five years behind San Francisco. But I would say San Francisco and New York right now seem like they are on like complete, complete free fall. They need Giuliani again, but you know, Giuliani's a right wing racist maniac. Or well, is there, and there is something, first of all, something tells me that if a, a, a tax paying employed citizen even tried to do the shoplifting, there would be much less reluctance to pursue or prosecute or give them a ticket or whatever, knowing that they would pay it. <laughs> um, is, is it is right? It, that's is it, funny too. That's well, no, another level just, of it. Yeah, question. it's like you, you pick yeah. on the people who you think there's there's something useful to pick on them for. Mm. Handing out a ticket to a homeless person for shoplifting, I, I, they're not going to pay it. And what do you do? Arrest yeah. them. They might even be, you know, they might even want to be arrested so they can get off the street for a temporary time. And in Canada, when you know the winter gets cold, being threatened with arrest is not the worst thing on earth. Yeah. Um, for, Especially for now that men can go to women's prison so you can get laid a lot. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. You, I'm a woman. You call me Allison. <laughs> We're Next get, thing you know, you're banging 80 chicks in We're jail. We're going to get into this. This will be yeah. a, a separate discussion in a second. But yeah. Okay, so you're in You're in the, the, the San, San, uh, San Francisco. It's a hellhole yeah. with, with, uh, with, no, with no caveats. I mean, yeah. beautiful view of the ocean. Wait, just let me just give one other picture for you. Sorry Please. to interrupt. But think about it. When I'm at Twitter, I'm upstairs with the world's richest man. And all of what I just described to you is right downstairs. So, I mean, I'm talking 50 yards. Like, think of the juxtaposition of that. Well, yeah. No joke. How does Elon does not walk into the front door? So the, those who those who can't be exposed to the yeah. to the waste that is the governance left over from Newsom, they, they go in through, they drive in, go underground, elevators. I'm not, I mean, I have a little insider info on that but that's not for me to share exactly. okay, no, no, but, cool. but he's not walking through the front door okay. and employees themselves yeah. the ones who go do the tiktok videos about how they have free coffee yeah. and, and meals are they walking into the front door yeah they're, they... i think so yeah okay yeah. Uh, or may, they might park inside the building and then go up and well, an elevator but at yeah. least to avoid it yeah so you're there upstairs with the world's richest man yeah outside squalor uh social decay 
first of all, what does what does Elon have to say about it? He's still there and he's still what does he have faith in it or is it just too hard to up and leave? So on the first night, basically what happened was at about 5 p.m. Eastern, I got a call on a Tuesday saying Elon would like to meet you in San Francisco tonight. So I was like, I got to figure this shit out. I called everybody I know that would maybe have access to a plane, like get me on a flight now. You know, nobody could come through. I ended up sitting literally last row, middle seat, broken chair. Uh, American, Airlines. American Airlines. Yeah, yeah. You, you didn't fly C-32E. No, it was a nightmare, <laughs> but whatever, whatever. It was fine. But I, anyway, I got there a little bit after midnight. So when I got there, this tells you everything you need to know about the guy. I get there. Now, first off, there's there's probably about 100, you know, he's in a conference room at first, but with a window so I can see him. And there's about 100 people and they, everyone's holding laptops. It's funny. One thing I learned about programmers, they hold laptops in really bizarre ways. Their bodies are contorted and they're like trying to really just do all this weird stuff. And they look at things upside down. And anyway, but there's all these people there and they're doing their thing. And uh, and then finally, I see someone kind of points at me and then Elon comes out. He says, hi, we, we chat just small talk for, you know, maybe two minutes. And now it's got to be it's got to be close to 1 a.m. He had the Tesla quarterly earnings meeting the next morning. He had to testify in a trial like the guys. And it's already past midnight. The guy's been working all day long. And this is what he said to me. This is almost verbatim what he said. Uh, he said, I really want to help you out. And I, I understand there's some real problems. The guys told me that, you know, your account has been hit in some weird ways that we want to look into. He goes, is there anything that I can do for you tonight? Because if there is, I'll stay. Otherwise, I'm actually pretty tired and we'll do it tomorrow. And I thought, how insane is that? I guess I'm known to some degree, but like I'm just some guy that like somehow ended up in that office. And here's the world's richest man who owns He's trying to get us to Mars. Like the guy's trying to do a lot of stuff. So I don't mean to make this about the money, but like he's literally like, if you want me to stay and in essence work for you tonight, I will. And I was like, uh, no, no, it's okay. You can go home and we'll we'll pick it up tomorrow. So first, I think that's just like a good little and insight. The, the employees who are there now are yeah. the ones who checked the, checked the yes box on ready to work hardcore for the company. Yes, and uh, they're you know you don't see very. They're not sad faces and they're not uh, begrudging the fact that they have uh, not the ones that I saw. But but, you know, he fi he fired. Uh, I think it was half the work staff, basically. So they had about seven thousand five hundred people. It's down to a little over three thousand, about three thousand five hundred. Um, so there are still clearly people there that are agents or not working on, you know, for him or work for the government or whatever. So he has to figure that out. Um, but but to your direct question about what did he say about the San Francisco situation? You know, I was very aware the next day when we we had about a two hour meeting, I was very aware of like, I have limited, I didn't know how long I had with him. I was like, I want to focus on this thing. We had started to talk about the kind of why I left the left stuff in politics. Cause I think his journey is, is very similar to mine. And that's where he got very, he was like really into that. Like, I think it was, he was glad to take a little break from tech and all that. We only talked about the San Francisco thing for like a minute or two. And basically he was just like something like it's unbelievably horrible. It's like, I didn't get any indication whether he really wants to take the company out of there or not, but we do know that he's already moved Tesla to, to Texas. There's every reason to get them the hell out of there. I think the thing is he fired so many people. The product is, is shaky at best, right? He kept describing it as a Jenga. You know, it's like this thing could fall over at any moment and he's got the bad actors in there. I don't think he's ready to be like to the 3000 people. A certain believe to Texas, they might not be too. So they may not it. be right, and it's like anyone maybe pulls that last Jenga piece out, and then he has a much bigger problem on his hands, which is a forty-four billion dollar investment in a product that literally he can't turn on. So, um, there was a, the one question. Well, I want to come back to him now being on the outs with the left, despite yeah. you know a, a lifetime a of being because my 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 impression now, having lived through something similar is that nobody leaves they get pushed out yes. or they stay somewhat where they are and, and it moves even more radically to the left yeah 
about Elon, just uh, and I don't want this to all be about Elon. Does he look happy or does he not look happy? Yes, he looks happy. Okay, he was he laughing constantly. Right when we walked into the meeting, he was in the middle of showing someone a funny little video about what it's like to try to raise funds in Silicon Valley, cracking up, like really, like laughing a ton. You know, he's wearing a, sh a T-shirt that looked like an old ratty T-shirt that I wouldn't be seeing in. Like the guy's, he's just doing everything he freaking could possibly do. That really was my takeaway. Physically healthy? Or yeah, does it, is, is the stress of, of what um, he's living through? He definitely, he's he's burning at both ends. There, I think twice during, I noticed during the, the two hour meeting, um, he, he stopped, he like kind of closed his eyes and he was like, my, my brain's on the overload. My brain's on overload. Like he's trying to take in so many things. Um, so I don't know how long you can last doing that. I think he really would like to find someone else to run the company once it's been righted a little bit more. I just don't know when or how that could happen. All right. And, and, now, and who would want to take that job? Well, that's, that's the third question is, did you get an impression as to whether or not he knew the extent of, uh, Outright intelligence no. infiltration. Um, oh, I, I mean, no. I, I won't load it. Not, I think it's outright infiltration. I think that the, the, you know it has been infiltrated. Whether or not it's a state actor is a non-starter. I think it's a, it's a it's a branch of the intelligence. Yeah. But did he? You know, the, the debate was the bots. Did he give any impression as to whether or not he knew about FBI involvement and the interplay between intelligence and the company? We didn't talk about it specifically in that way, but I asked a similar question on Friday when we had Sachs on. So David Sachs, who was one of the creators of PayPal with Elon 25 years ago with Peter Thiel, he's now, he's not being paid he's, and he doesn't own any of Twitter. He's just advising. So he literally is there. He came to our meeting. He asked me if he, if he was like, do you want me to come? And I was like, yeah, because I, I happen to like him a lot. And I was like, it might help that, you know, someone else here knows Elon when I sit down. So it feels a little more, I don't know, family-ish or friendly-ish or something. Um, he basically, his answer when I asked him that on Friday, in essence, he said, nobody knew what they are finding out. So it was like, we all thought the bot thing was a problem, that there was fake traffic being driven by who we didn't know. But the fact that now nine FBI agents were employed at <laughs> Twitter, we now know that. The general counsel for the FBI, this guy, Jim Baker, is the general, is he still, or I guess he's been fired since. No, he got he, fired. He got fired. Uh, but he was the general counsel at Twitter. It's like, you cannot make this up. Like it's too, that's one of the things. The conspiracies are so obvious that we can't see them because they're like, too, no, you know, it's if, like if, the vision is if like If it were a movie and you yeah. say, okay, now, yeah, you'd now be like, the part where you discover the FBI, the former FBI counsel is the CEO or yeah. whatever the, no one would believe it. Right. Like, you'd be how like, the hell did you get guy who wrote this shit? It's like, yeah. like John Cusack yeah. getting onto the jury and runaway yeah. jury. It's like, how does an ex-gun right activist get onto the jury? It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And then, you know, it's so mind-blowing that even I'm sitting there looking at it and saying, um, the bot thing had to have been a disguise. He knew what he was buying, so he's going to blow the lid off this and become public, en public enemy number one. There are others who say, it's so obvious he could not have known, therefore he has to be some form of controlled opposition working with the government because nobody nobody could ignore it and then nobody would do this. Can, can I address that one real oh, quick? please. Because that one to me, look, if that is true, if that is true that Elon Musk, who seemingly put it all on the line and from what I could tell was busting his ass and repeatedly talking about free speech, about if he is somehow a double agent or controlled opposition or whatever, then the game is so... The game is so complex and so out of what any of us could bother wasting a breath talking about that it would be pointless for any of us to do anything other than than buy a chicken coop and move to the middle of nowhere. Some, and that's it. And by the way, want to do that. <laughs> and by the way, that's a pretty that's a pretty great thing. And I do want to get a chicken coop. I had one in L.A. It became very complex. We had a very sick dog. We had to get rid of the chickens. I had to make a choice, dog or chicken. We went dog. But 
but no. So I do, I do not believe that's the case. I believe that he is, he is mission aligned with us in that he believes in free speech. He believes in the beauty of America and he wants there to be honest, open debate. I think he is frankly shocked at what you just described there is that most of us kind of didn't move and that in a sane, in a sane world, even for me, I think I'd probably be somewhat on the left in a, in a functioning sane world. We just don't live in that world. If, if we could get everything back to, I don't know, 1995 there. And, and if we felt things were a little more functional, like I'm not inherently against government if it's slim and trim and controlled and doing what it's very specific duties are, but that has nothing to do with the way government is now. And I think a guy like him, who's benefited a lot from that too, by the way, because of subsidies and tax well, breaks. That, and that is that one of stuff. the arguments as to why he might be not compromised, but too dependent on pissing them off, but not too much, because then they'll cut, you know, the government funding to Starlink, not Starlink, but rather uh, SpaceX. And well, so I don't think the government's funding those things, but he does get some tax breaks on those things. And and yes, he's gotten, you know, there's been other things related to Tesla, but like, I just don't think that I did not get the impression. That was it at all. And also it just, the way he's consistently gone after it and gone after it and gone after it and going deeper and deeper. And Viva, if for no other reason, then I have this two hour meeting with him. We didn't really, there was no setup to the meeting of like exactly why we're doing it. And then I said to him at the end, do you mind if I repeat any of this? And he goes, as long as it's true. It's like, he told me there was a bunch of shit that if he really was protecting only what his asset is or something, you wouldn't want everybody knowing that Twitter is as unstable as it is. Like he might've said, Actually, don't repeat that. Thing. Can I see it first? Can I vet it first? As long as it's true. And, and, and he didn't have to pause when he said it. And that was the thing. Can I, can I just kind of repeat some of this stuff or put it on? As long as it's true. That's because you're in bed with the government as well, Dave. And he oh, knows yes, he doesn't. Yes. Even, he knows it's going to be limited. Clever. I, I, We're I'm, all I'm part of this thing. Yeah, well, there, there. At some point, there is no end to the suspicion. But <laughs> at some point, also, there is no end to the corruption. So you, you don't know. But yeah, Elon and Elon's uh, political. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Evolution. Evolution. Let's, yeah. let's call it that. It, it's similar, I presume, to yours as yeah. well. How how ignorant I am to the, these things of identity politics. The first time we did the interview, I didn't I didn't know that you were gay, and no idea. Well, I'm and only so, gay after 10 p.m. Well, no, it's, I had I had no idea in the yeah. sense that like, it, first of all, it was, it's never relevant to me. Maybe I didn't know you well enough back in the yeah. day. But the idea that well, now, it's not that relevant to me. Well, that, well it's <laughs> I it, mean, the only reason why it might be relevant is that yeah. typically. You would not be the the poster child for yeah. <laughs> being called a right wing extremist. Typically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I know some of your your you know the some of the politics are are definitely not right wing. But what happens? Like what happens? You're you're an an older person. How old are you? Forty six. I'm an older. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not an older person. No, you're looking good. You're looking. We, good. we can compare grades. Well, I say we're, we're no. I got more grades than you. But <laughs> we're we're of the same vintage. Yeah. Wait, how old and are you? Forty three. Jesus. Yeah, I got more gray hair. Chicken. But I think I, I blame these are Trudeau. Those grades. are those are Trudeau. Yeah. yeah. Um. Like, I don't think that I've changed much. If anything, I think I've gone maybe more left in the traditional sense where when I was younger, I say, yeah, death penalty, fully supported. And now I no longer say that. Yeah. Um, oh, that's funny because I've now flipped on that because I used to be completely against it because I didn't want the state to have that kind of power. And there's a liberal argument to make there. That, that could be an old liberal argument that you just don't want the state to be able to punish dissent in that way. I'm more amenable to it now. So that, well, that's I mean, amenable in the ideal circumstances yeah. versus supporting it as a, as a government policy. Because sure. I say, like, you can't undo a wrongful execution. And yes. I, now I don't and, trust and, the government and, to do yep. anything. Totally get it. Uh, but so how did your political evolution come out of this? Like, when did you realize they've gone batshit crazy and I'm still pretty sane? So 
you know, I've told versions of this many times, so I'll try to do like a, a somewhat abbreviated one. But I, I grew up in a New York liberal household. And when you say that, people think, oh, they must have all been crazy, like leftist lunatics. But that's not the way it was. I was a child of the 80s. My family, we would every holiday, whatever it was, we'd be, you know, I'd have 50 people at two different you know, kids table, adult table. I'm, I'm the oldest of my generation also. So I was always angling to the adult table. Like, I didn't want to be with all the young kids, and I was always trying to get there because they were arguing about abortion and foreign policy. My family was always arguing. Nobody was involved in politics directly, but everybody was always arguing about stuff. And then dessert would be served, and then it was done. So people would be yelling throughout the meal, for sure, screaming at each other, and, ah, abortion, that's ah. And then, but then, literally, cake, okay, we're good. We'll do it again tomorrow. And that's how my family was. And that's what I thought of as liberalism. And, and also, um, I, you're not a New Yorker, but like we had great liberal politicians at the time. There was Daniel Patrick Moynihan was one of our senators and he carried the constitution with him, but he was a liberal. He believed in, an, in a, uh, a decent government that could do some for the people. Uh, Ed Koch was the mayor of New York City before the progressive David Dinkins came in and destroyed it. And then once he destroyed it, Giuliani came in and had to fix it. JFK was a liberal. JFK was wanted to lower taxes, wanted to get us out of wars, disband wanted the FBI, disband the FBI, <laughs> ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I mean, that's the reverse of Bernie, but he was a liberal. Um, so that's the liberalism I came from. Then I moved to L.A. in 2013, started working with the Young Turks. And what I liked about that, and they were they described themselves as progressives. And what it seemed to me was they were liberals, but like they were like they they were liberals who had just done a, done a line of cocaine. Like they were just like raged all the time and everybody's a racist and a bigot. And there's something very empowering about that. And also it, if you can silence your opposition with all those those tactics, everyone's a racist and a bigot and a homophobe. It, it becomes very, it feeds you in a very weird way because you're, you're now on a moral crusade too because you're literally trying to save the world. There's a, there's a few things that woke me out of that. The famous one is when I sat down with Larry Elder and he really beat me over the head about systemic racism. But there were a bunch of things that had happened before that. The famous uh, Sam Harris, uh, Ben Affleck debate on yeah. Real Time with Bill Maher. That really was the one that, that fully in my mind, and people can find it. I did a video in my little apartment about it the next day. So this is back in like 2014, um, where I was still a lefty, a liberal. And I'm trying to explain what just happened there. And I, I show it completely unedited. And then I just jump in at different times because everybody was editing it to figure out their, you know, to fit their own ideology and all that. But what, but I would say the, the bumper sticker on that is there was one day where I was on the panel with the Young Turks and Jank and all these people and everyone's just screaming and, every, you know, everybody's a racist and a big and homo. And I remember thinking like literally, literally looking at them thinking, you know, it's not like you guys are that bright. I really remember thinking that, like, these aren't the brightest people. I, these weren't people that I had great Phyllis, you know, I would go out to dinner with them or invite them into my home. Some of them were invited to my wedding. We actually never had philosophical discussions about politics. It was like complaining about people or complaining about work. Jenk was a horrible boss. There was a lot of that kind of stuff. But it was very little of what I now do with all of my my new right-wing friends, where we, we actually don't talk about politics that often. We usually talk about philosophy or something like that. And I remember thinking, you guys just aren't that bright. So is it possible? that you guys are so right and somehow everyone else is so wrong. And once that math equation did not work in my head, the rest kind of fell apart very quickly. And then I think Elon is going through a version of that himself. As yeah. you, as you went through. Well, and I, for, for me, it's, it's, it's only a matter of, I, I don't know if at the time what, what we call typical progressives were pushing for were as radically perceived at the time. 
And so, you know, bringing it back to why. Well, they went from equality to equity. And that, that was the jump. It needed, it basically needed to end at gay marriage. The, the cause needed to end once basically, I mean, maybe we can find the most marginal examples of this that aren't true. But once gay marriage was done, there were no laws that stopped black people from doing anything in the United States. There's no laws that stopped gay people from doing anything or Asian people or Jews or blah, blah, blah. Once we did that, the, the, the machine of that thing needed to, to kind of take its foot off the pedal, but instead it put its, and that's why now we're dealing with, we're going to chop your nuts off if you're a 13 year old boy who's a little effeminate because they could, because as Chris Rock said in one of his HBO specials, the cops need a certain amount of crime. And that's what these guys need. They need a certain amount of racism to keep the grift going. We did it. We did what the promise of America was supposed to do. It doesn't mean that we eliminated racism as, a, as an intellectual concept. There's always going to be a racist. Ilhan Omar is a racist. <laughs> AOC is a racist. Dave, I accept that she didn't know about Jews and monies as a trope. I mean, no, I, no, 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 I no. believe that as far as I can throw. No, then, well, the, no yeah. But, but the point is, there's always going to be these bigoted people. Of course there is. And the best thing that you can do is, is hopefully explain to them uh, why they shouldn't be or live a life that would challenge their preconceived notions. But that's what these guys seem to put. Let me steel man the steel argument. Man, steel because man. What they're going to say is this is this is the gay privilege. Is once you've got what you wanted, uh, then you don't care about the trans population. You don't care about the trans kids. You don't. <laughs> I, and obviously, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way where I understand or can conceptualize where the slippery slope has to stop. But the, the argument is going to be good. Gays and lesbians got their rights. Now there's trans. Right. So what right does a trans person? I know you're doing a steel man. So yeah, what right say, would say, a trans person uh, not they have? They are in not protected. I, I think, yeah. incidentally, there's another argument which I'll probably get in big trouble for saying is the response to this, the steel man response, which is yeah. someone's going to say, well, uh, discrimination based on gender identity is not specifically outlawed. So you can, in theory, refuse to hire someone based on their gender identity. Well, I'm not so sure that that's true. Actually, are you telling me that that's true? For no, sure? I don't. I, well, I don't think it's. Well, first off, we, we have the well, we have the Equality Act of I think 1973 or 1974 that dealt with most of this stuff. And then over the years, there have been laws passed related to to uh, sexuality specifically. So, if there potentially is some law that still can somehow trick somebody into like discriminating against a trans version. I suppose you could talk about that. Now, first of all, I would talk about it at a state level. Secondly, I think, I think people to some extent, and here's where this is where they, they'll, they'll really, Media Matters will love this one. People are allowed to discriminate to some extent. Um, we all discriminate on a daily basis. Hopefully you're not doing it based in a, big, in a bigoted way, meaning in a way like, oh, there's a black person, I'm simply not going to hire that black person. But we're all making judgment calls all day long with every interaction that we have, period. Um, as far as I know, there are no laws that stop a trans person from living however they wish to live. Now, if we're taking this down to the child level, where we're now talking about, gen, you know, what do they call it? Gender affirming care. Gen which, uh, the, the, the most... Beautiful and, and a horrible euphemism, gender affirming care, which in up is in, down, left is right. You are not affirming someone's gender if you are going to try to chop their body parts off. So if you want to talk about that related to kids, well, then we, there's a discussion to have there. Obviously, if once someone is 18, whatever they wish to do with their body or whatever else, they can do it. You want to dress however you want, whatever. I will treat you with respect if you treat me with respect. Um, but I will tell you this, a couple months ago, right, when we moved to Florida, we were doing some work at the house. I have not told this story publicly, so you're getting a good yes, one here. Exclusive, everybody. You're getting a good clip one here. Clip this point, clip so it in two minutes. So we had just moved to the house, and we're doing a lot of work, and uh, and someone showed up at that. We had an appointment for a 
certain type of worker. I don't even want to be more specific than that. So show up to the house. Um, David, my husband, yells from the other room, get out, take the dog and get out of the house. And I'm like, what? What is going on here? Take the dog and get out of the house. I grab the dog. I start taking a walk. I then I'm texting him. I'm going, what the hell's going on here? A man with five o'clock shadow, like a six foot three man, hairy legs in a dress, showed up to our house to, to do the, to give us an estimate on something. Um, five o'clock shadow, six foot dress that doesn't fit, walks in. David said his he was clearly on drugs, like eyes were bloodshot and out of whack. Sounded like a man, slurring words, but basically sounded like a man. For a half hour, he had to go along with this nonsense until he got the guy out of the house. And, and he felt like the guy was sort of sexually harassing him and like all this weird stuff. Anyway, uh, I mention this because this person got a job. They should not have had that job. This is if imagine if David had been a little, a little uh, 26 year old girl housewife. And then this man in a dress comes into the house who clearly is on drugs, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not applying this obviously to all trans people, of course, of course. But the point is, if I had called the company and said, you know, you, I was having somebody give me an estimate on blah, blah, blah. And you sent a man in a dress who was like, I then would have been the bad guy or they would have come after me or the story with Dave Rubin stops trying. And, and that's how we've just allowed everything to get so backwards. The reason he wanted me out of the house was he was afraid that the guy was going to recognize me and think of me as a transphobe. And then that would have, you know, we don't like to have people know where we live and all, all kinds of stuff. So yeah. it's just like a litany of endless nonsense related to all of this stuff. But any, if, they, if you can point out to me or anyone watching this, and there's commenters that can gladly throw in, if anyone watching this can point to me to a law that exists in the United States that is discriminating against an adult based on their immutable characteristics, of course you get rid of that. I would not want a law that stops Muslim people from doing this or gay people from doing that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there are plenty of mosques that won't perform gay marriages. I don't know, should we be upset with Ilhan Omar on that one? I'm pretty sure her mosque won't perform a gay marriage. Not one mosque in the United States will. But I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to force a religious institution to do that. So, so that's why there's, there's so many inequalities here. Um, but the liberal position with that would be that everyone is treated equally and that under the law, how people behave on the margins of that is a different issue. Well, the, 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 um, I mean, my sort of perspective of this is that once upon a time, and I think it's still recognized as a diagnosable mental condition. It's gender dysphoria, yeah. which, which used to have treatments, uh, where it went from being protected from discrimination based on, uh, a, a, a mental diagnosable mental condition for public accommodations, et cetera. That's one thing. Uh, and I don't think, it, I don't think there's any uh, risk of that. I think it's actually, I think it's already baked into the law. Then yeah. the question became uh, on, on what we call intuitive persona, like right. individual relationships where you can no longer exercise any discretion based on certain things. And it doesn't seem that there's any limit to it where, um, where you have the biological males of Dylan Mulvaney and James, uh, what's his name? Jeffrey Marsh. Yeah taking to the social medias to speak uh, on girlhood, to go to the White House and lecture on girlhood. She's where... the worst stereotype of she. He, Dylan Mulvaney, is the worst stereotype of what a woman would be. Possibly. Uh, no, no, but it, I, th it, I think yeah. it's a troll. I mean, it, yeah, I, no, I no, still no, think, I, think it has yeah, to be a troll. Yeah. Um, there was a, the most recent one that uh, he well, that he put out, I'm going to get in trouble, that he put out where he's, he's uh, there was, what was it? Normalize the bulge. Which yeah. is to say, yeah. I have a penis, yeah. but refer to me as a she. Yeah. Uh, then there was, what makes me look so good, I'm not there to steal your husband. Did you see this? Yeah, one? yeah, I saw it. I saw it. Uh, 
but still insist, call me a she, despite the fact that I recognize that I have a penis and yeah. that I'm going to the White House to talk on girlhood issues. Yeah. I'm just like the, the the question is, and then to well, watch mind muddle Joe Biden be like, it's a moral responsibility to treat you. Uh. Do we not? Do, do you feel that this is a concerted effort? I mean, we we've heard uh, what's his name, Solzheim, the the Russian propaganda. So, do do we not? Do you believe that this is an, an actual yes. concerted effort? Yes, to some extent. I mean, this is where again you go into you start going into con into conspiracy theory territory. Uh, but one of the things that Solzhenitsyn said, who wrote the Gulag Archipelago, and obviously Jordan talks about him all the time, is that the the one way you stop the thing that we're all worried about is you stop participating in the lie. And we're all participating in a lie all the time. I think that's another reason I've become a little more direct in my language with some of this stuff. And, you know, it's like you, you're a fundamentally good person. It's very obvious to me. So when you slightly use the wrong pronoun there, it's like you're going out of your way to behave towards a person who would never grant you any grace or any dignity, no matter what. But you're still trying to do it. And I think that that's part of the problem. We all have to stop participating in the lie. It is not good for a third grade teacher to talk to anyone's child about sex you know, I have these two boys at home. They are so freaking perfect and incredible and amazing. And it is my job to now hopefully give them enough tools to go out into the world and and know and to react to it in some way that is truthful and decent and something. And I'm going to do the best I can with that. Well, I fail, I'm sure, but I'm going to do the best I can. If I found out that it's it's six years from now or, or seven years from now and that my son, Justin, is in third grade and the teacher has secretly for months been calling him Justine and telling them he's a girl... I'm surprised people haven't been killed because of this. I really mean that. I really mean that. At some point, something horrible is going to happen. Well, something horrible is happening already because they're chopping off the genitals of kids. But at some point, some parent out there, that's not to, I'm not excusing violence in any way whatsoever, again, because I'm giving the caveats because I'm a good person. But they are doing something so twisted and it's all because we participate. Think how off, how many, how much time have you as a, as a content creator spent talking about trans issues. It's in, it's so disproportionate to the 0.0001% of people that it's bananas. And, and by the way, me too. I mean, but, but we're all responding to the lie all the time and, and how you extricate yourself from that. I, I don't know the exact answer. There. Yeah. The, um, talking about potential violence, I mean, it, it is the suggestion that just by raising awareness of it, you increase the risk of someone snapping and, and, and going ballistic. And it's the accusation against libs of TikTok by exposing what they're saying. Literally you're, you're just putting, amplifying you're putting Most them people risk. want to be amplified well, that, online, yeah. That, but it's, it goes back, I don't know if it's um, Zelensky's rules for radicals or if yeah. it's uh, Goebbels level propaganda, but uh, claim to be the victim while victimizing. Yeah. And now they're saying by, by bringing attention to what we are actively seeing, and we're proud of it, and yeah. we think we're right for saying it, you're exposing us to, 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 to violence when I don't, when I don't, necessarily think that they are i think that, you know the, the best thing that can happen would be the public discourse but shielding this outrageous uh philosophy practice from critique under the pretext of being victims it's a great way to make people even angrier because now you say like i can't even i can't even expose the fact that you're doing this to my kids and to other people's kids because then you're going to claim that i'm calling violence that makes me even angrier but that but that is why you should be very freaking proud that you live in florida we are dealing with all this stuff head on because DeSantis chose to, and it is being eliminated from all of our institutions here. This does not take place here. Now, that's not to say there isn't some weird teacher, probably in Orlando, that's Disney country, and it is one of the few remaining pockets of blue, which have, there's pretty much none of them left. 
Um, but they are getting rid of all of this everywhere. And that's another reason why when you say, okay, well, San Francisco, will it ever turn around? New York, will it ever turn around? No, because you're also breeding through public education a next generation of dependent, asexual, confused, uh, broken people with broken brains. Think how many adults got their brain broken over the last three years of COVID and Trump derangement syndrome. Plenty. There are a lot of people that I thought were pretty freaking on the ball about most stuff. Here, I'll be gratuitous. Sam Harris. This is a guy whose brain was broken by Trump and COVID. I don't know why you have me in this zone now. Now I'm just doing it. Um, I've really gone out of my way not to talk about him because it's disappointing at a friend level uh, what happened there. But, but putting that aside, there are plenty of bright adults, thoughtful, interesting, well-educated adults whose brains were broken. And now you have seven-year-olds who are growing up with activist teachers, with parents that are confused about everything and all of the rules we all believe in have been thrown out. And then we wonder why every, everyone's depressed and anxious about, I'm not here in Florida. I'll tell you, everything's freaking great here. And again, I, that's why I can make the argument why DeSantis should not run for president because we're doing it right here. And, and, and that I was telling, you know, my my wife, like if DeSantis leaves, OK, he appoints, I guess, a replacement or who knows what happens. But yeah, it's it, any state is one election away from turning into California in a generation, well, I say in, in, a, in a matter of five years. In this case, I think it's a little bit different because the machinery here now is is really, really strong. I think there are, I don't even want to mention a couple of names because I don't want to start infighting on that. But I think there's a couple good people who could uh, follow him properly. I think he is he might be a once in a generation candidate, which is then the best argument for why he has to run. I think there could be a, a, a replication of a Reagan situation here. You know, there's something about Casey DeSantis, the first lady who's very Nancy Reagan esque. I don't know if you saw the, the picture of her on Inauguration Day, but she had these these uh, hand uh, these gloves that kind of went up her arm. They, it was very. Uh, it was very JFK, you know, there was, it's just, the pieces are there. Uh, Jackie Onassis, I'm talking about. Um, but we shall see. I, I want to highlight one absurdity is that they have laws that, what do they call them? They call them uh, transition. Uh, what's the word? The, the, the laws that prohibit transition therapy. Uh, as in, yeah. you can't talk someone out of out of uh, right, thinking you, they're you trans. Can't, right, you have to encourage You, you it, have basically. to encourage an actual yeah. transition. So they have these anti-transition laws. Yeah. And like, I, it was Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan saying yeah. how like the idea of of psychiatrists or help people with who are helping with mental issues to affirm and not uh, that their role should be to affirm is exactly backwards. And, and you know, Jordan said something great when when we were on tour. So this is 2018. So the trans stuff was was bubbling up, obviously, yeah. but not as hot as it is now. One of the things that he said that I thought was the most thoughtful and that maybe really helps people frame it in a certain way. Let's say a 16, let, let's say one of your, you have how many, you have two kids? Three kids. kids. Okay. So let's say one of your kids now, 16, 17 years old and comes to you and says, dad, you know, I'm, I'm physically a boy, but I really feel like I'm a girl. I blah, 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 blah. You go through all that and you really do everything that you can as a parent to, to talk about it in an honest way. And then you take them to a therapist and you're working on it and whatever's going on there. One of the things that Jordan said that I thought really was brilliant was the therapist has a duty to explain to that child, okay, so you're 16 now and you feel you're in the wrong body. If we change all of your body parts, that does not mean you will be happier on the other side of this thing. First off, in terms of the drugs, you're going to have to be on the surgeries. They live with sometimes with a certain amount of pain because chopping genitals off ain't easy, inverting them, like a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Um, you may not come out physically looking like you, you may not be passable and, and really look like a girl or whatever it might be. 
like the idea that if you could just do all these physical changes, you will heal the thing on the inside is crazy. So it might be better, might be better. And this would be what an honest therapist would say would be, okay, I, we acknowledge that your, your mental identity does not match up with your physical body, but there might be a better way to live within your physical body beyond expenses and all of these things. And I think that's like a very calming way of discussing it that, that probably, well, in essence, they're not really allowed to say anymore because right now they have to, by law in many states, just run with this freaking thing. And, and you don't even have to get a second doctor. It used to be back in the day, you had to have at least two doctors sign on, several psychologists to get these surgeries. Now it's just freaking drug them, chop it off, let's roll. It's nuts. I interviewed a, a British guy, uh, Richie, who went through the surgery and and Chloe Cole, who had a yeah. double mastectomy. So yeah. b- b- on both ends of the of the sex side of it, yeah. um, Richie was an adult when it happened, who was suffering from a number of mental issues by his own by his own admission, feels that he might have been exploited, but or, or at least t- not taken advantage of, but not explain the full consequences of this where yeah. they say yeah it, it, it's here's what a, a female vagina looks like he 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 gave this anecdote where he in, in the pre-op they were showing pictures of female vaginas not post-op uh neo vaginas as they call them and old school the old JJ. school you know made by yeah. made by god if you believe yeah. in god but yeah. if not made by nature yeah uh and as if to say you know, it, all vaginas look differently yours might look a little different yeah and richie's uh revel you know his 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 a moment that I can only imagine is the most horrific moment, which is when he comes out of sedatives because he had lost so much blood. He was basically uh, yeah. unconscious for a week. Comes out and he says they put the mirror between his legs and he said he was horrified. He said it looked like someone went at his groin with an axe. And they don't, they don't tell you about any of this. They don't tell you about the lifelong complications. They don't yeah. tell you about the immediate complications. They, these doctors who are you know, sort of like the administrative tribunals in Canada, they yeah. exist for the yeah. purposes of propping up their own existence. Yeah. They say, Go run through it. Uh, it's it's horrific. It's uh, and to target children who are children uh, confused in general. Viva. The other part of this is that it's wildly anti-gay for the same people that think that they are pro-gay. So if so, when I was a kid, I liked mostly what were thought of as boy things. I like GI Joe. I like Transformers. I like Star Wars. I like playing basketball. All of those things. Okay, so I happen to be a gay adult and married to someone. And okay, fine. You can like that or not like it. I actually don't even care that much as long as I'm treated equally under the law. I don't care if anyone likes me. I, and I don't, I certainly don't want extra credit for it. But there are many effeminate gay boys that play with Barbies and play with other things that now would be encouraged. Oh, you like pink? You're a girl. Mm-hmm. And go through this process. By the way, this is happening in Iran right now. Iran has a very high percentage of trans uh, trans girls because they are gay guys, but they don't want to, Iranian authorities don't want to deal with gay, the idea of a gay man. They would rather have them lopping off their genitals and living as women. So you would think that the, the LGBT community, which I have nothing to do with, uh, that you would think that in the idea that everyone can sort of be, you know, we can all be in and out of sexuality and it's just, a, they're, I, I, they're oddly the most ideological when it comes to this stuff. Because apparently if you like pink, we better chop your dick off. Well, that is my, uh, which is why, you know, I don't understand why there's not a, uh, a fracturing of the LG from the BTQ because well, it, it's not even a thing in the first place. Like wh- what is it? Like, you know, I, you, I mean, but, but for the most vocal of the progressives who are the most, you know, 
screaming on the far end of the plus side. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, because believe cause, no, because believe it or not, I know you know this, but believe it or not, because most gay people are are sort of like straight people and they just want to go about living their lives. So if I was to look at like a couple gay people that I could mention off the top of my head, because they're known that I'm friendly with, like Douglas Murray, the great conservative British author, it's like, all right, that's a part of his life, but he's a brilliant intellect. Uh, you know, Peter Thiel. Um, you know, I could give you, I, like, I don't want to sit here and name and gaze, but you, you get no, the point. I, I like yeah. these people, they're not part of, I have nothing to do with the trans community. I have nothing well, to do with the lesbian community. Say, I assure you, I know far less about lesbians than you probably do. I, You've yeah, probably I, I studied know. lesbians in a way that I haven't. I see where you're going with this now. And okay, point well taken. <laughs> no, now I'm in trouble. Um, yeah. No, some people might say it's because the gays and lesbians have gotten their rights. And so they don't need to be part of the community to make sure that the plus Again, yeah. if you show me where they are not equal under the law, we can have a discussion about that. But but it, nobody can really come up with that thing. Well, and my and also wait, wait, sorry, I just have to add one thing here. You know, they, this whole thing like, oh, but when the Stonewall riots, it was the tr first off, all they wanted in the Stonewall riots, what these people wanted, they wanted to be able to go to a bar basically that wasn't underground in a speakeasy where you had to use a secret code. They wanted to live a life that that had value and that was equal. I, the gay rights movement went from a movement of equality, which is just, equality is just, to a movement of we are now going to derange and alter society in unrecognizable ways. That is very different than equality. Well, and my ultimate way of summarizing it is the gay rights, the gays and lesbians said, leave me alone, let me do what I want to yeah. do. And today it's, you must do this and you must call You me must this. bow down in front of me, and which is what they used to do in some of those clubs downstairs. <laughs> And and, and targeting the children. Connor liked that one. Um, they, okay, second. The last time we spoke, yes. you were on your first book. Now you've written your second book. Yes, uh, don't this burn in. this country. Yes. What's it like? You wrote it during COVID, so yeah. I guess there was, you know, in in a way, there it was a little much, easier. To, yeah. Well, I say there wasn't that much to do except for what you know the people on the interwebs. Uh, that's when we were doing what we were doing. Yeah. Um, what what process goes into writing a second book? Do you not say I've said everything I have to say in my first book? Well, it was kind of funny because the, the Don't Burn This Book really was, um, it was the culmination of everything I had been living through between leaving the left and dealing with the hate mobs and cancel culture and whatever. And it was a little kind of autobiographical. And, uh, you know, so it was sort of, it not, it's not easy to write because a book is not easy to write. But like my pen was just kind of moving and I wrote most of it actually first by pen. And then, and then I write it later, I type it out later. So it wasn't it wasn't that hard for me to write. And I also didn't know what I was doing. You know, it's sort of like when you don't know what you're doing, you can kind of do it right, sort of. So don't, I'm very, very proud of Don't Burn This Book because I think it's it's like got the right tone of humor and politics and all that stuff. Don't Burn This Country was more research-based. So I had a researcher working with me while we were doing it, meaning we were going for a little more like nuts and bolts and facts. And it's a little, it's structured a little more hardcore. It wasn't quite as fun for me to do, um, but the question was, was why write it or what? No, what no, was, the, the, just the like process. the process. Um, I mean, it's a lot of just freaking sitting for me. I mean, everyone has their own process for me. It was like, I was like, all right, I'm writing today. So if it was even on a Saturday, like I would go into my office at like eight and eight in the morning, I'd just be going. And sometimes I'd completely lose track of time and it could be five o'clock. And I basically hadn't eaten or drank. Sometimes David would literally put a slide. He'd open the door. We, we became like a running joke. Like I was in prison and he'd slide a plate of food under, you know, just like, so I'd eat something. Um, and then there are days where you just don't have anything and you just can't put it together. And like, why the hell am I doing this? And, you know, but you just go and go and go and go. And I, I think I have probably two more in me, but would be my guess. Uh, 
when you do you read comments on the internet do you read do you read replies on uh, on locals for sure locals locals has become i mean it's exactly why i created locals i wanted to create a place that would allow for somewhat like-minded people to engage in conversation in a more thoughtful way and and i think in essence why we created locals uh, and why now it has become successful is that clearly is what what a lot of people want and it's worthy of throwing in a few dollars to do that right it's worthy the people that are watching this on locals right now that are commenting that are that are your fans you basically whether you know every at handle or not obviously you don't know every single one but every single day i go into locals i respond to comments i look at what people are saying it helps me frame what i'm thinking every now and again i'll see a thought I'll be, a comment i'll be like you know that is something i should be discussing on the show today or people give me ideas things versus twitter where it's just like this endless you know just like war zone scorched earth lunacy um i do i'll glance at youtube comments for literally one minute a day now i have a guy that works for me that i've told go in there just to get a you know a a cross section of what's going on um and sometimes it's just for technical reasons like you know i'll see here somebody will say dave you know your audio sync was a little weird today i need to know about that sort of thing you know um but i try not to pay too much attention to that you know one thing is when you've done this thing long enough and it's weird that I'm like a veteran of this because I don't feel old really but like I've been doing this for a while and I think a lot of people did model what I was doing and and create other versions of it which I think is great actually I think there's plenty of room for everybody I I, I love when you know when I find someone like you literally like I'm like who is this guy he's saying something true it seems nice and kind of funny like got crazy hair like let's get in on this and and then I just think there's more room for everyone I really believe that um and we've created something really, really nice here. And I try not to get lost in, in the battlefield anymore. Now that you mentioned it actually, uh, locals as an entity, there's no risk that this, um, it becomes too much of a burden for rumble as a bigger entity. And they say, well, we're, you know, no, these we're, things, these things are freaking like this. I mean, when we sat down, I kid you not when, when Chris, who's the CEO of rumble and Asaf, who is the CEO of locals. And I sat down, it was in Florida, like, now it's about two years ago to initially discuss. Uh, I thought we were having dinner to discuss how could we just like have some very light partnership. Like, I don't know, you push some traffic our way. We'll figure out how to funnel some of the subscription money back to you. Something like that. We really had no idea to tell you how good Chris from, from Rumble is. And now you've gotten to know Chris, obviously yourself. He within, by the time the water was poured, I mean, I remember it. They were pouring the water. So we had just sat down. He's like, guys, look, I, I want to acquire you. How are we going to do this? And, you know, that's an incredible thing to hear as a startup. It's like, oh, we're teaming with someone bigger than us. We knew that Teal had funded them. So it was like a well-funded operation, ideologically aligned. You want to make sure all those pieces. But then we had we had a basically a year and a half of slogging out negotiations to make sure this was right. And I didn't want to merge. In essence, we merged, but they're the bigger company. So, so that's why it feels like an, it's an acquisition in that sense. Um, I didn't want to make, just hand the keys to this thing to uh, some company that was going to do whatever they want with it. I'm telling you, we had an all cash offer on the table, millions and millions of dollars cash. I would have had to, to walk from this thing and I, we didn't take it. And I want to give a little credit to my uh, partner, Asaf, who's sitting out there right now. This is the office that and studio that we built. Uh, I was more inclined to take it because I was working so hard and doing my show. And suddenly I was spending 75% of my day on locals to build a tech company, which was not my intention that I was kind of like, you know what, we've built something good. Maybe we should just move on. And he was like, no, 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 no. There's a much better, uh, bitter, better opportunity here. Um, and, and clearly it turned out to be the right thing. And now circling all the way back to the beginning with what happened with project Veritas, yeah. the concern of people out there is that, 
um, what we're one mutiny away from Rumble being turned into YouTube. I can tell you this without giving you everything under the hood. First off, Chris himself, this is a good dude. This is a really good dude. I, I know him fairly well. I've had dinner with his wife and child, like good dude. Asaf is a great dude. I, he happens to be my brother-in-law also. So he married my sister. He's been in my family for a long time. These people are fighting for the right ideas. The, the board now, um, who I've gotten to know a whole bunch of them, like all anyone does is talk about free speech, talk about building the parallel rails. I, I have never, I'll tell you something about Chris. I was thinking about this the other day. I've never even heard Chris talk about the money. The guy's worth a shit ton of money right now. This company went public, like an unimaginable amount. I've never heard him say that. I've never heard him talk about the size house he wants to build. A lot of people do. I don't begrudge anyone anything that they want. Um, but I think that this is as ideologically aligned and, and set up properly. The, the infrastructure is set up properly. I, I think I'm right. I think I'm right about this. All right. And now this might be. Come on, Viva. Challenge me. Well, for God's uh, sakes. I, no, I, I guess now one question. Yeah. What oh, it's you, this paper straw. <laughs> well, you're lucky it's still getting the getting the fluid out of there. <laughs> Uh, what's you, what do you see for the future? Like I, I occasionally wake up, um, and, uh, have dark thoughts as to where things are going because it, it doesn't seem that there's a bottoming yeah. out of the madness. Yeah. Um, you've been in this for longer. You're sort of more deeper into it and you more exposure than I do doing what I do. Optimist or pessimist as to where this goes in the short term versus, um, you know, setting aside the world war three, maybe we'll talk a little yeah. bit about Joe, but <laughs> sure. Uh, socially, you know, f from this whole, from, from a social perspective, uh, is it going to get worse in your mind or do you see it getting better already? Well, I always describe myself. I think someone wrote in a piece once that they thought I was a world weary optimist. And I really like that phrase. I I'm an optimist at heart because I don't think I could do this and talk about what I believe and fight for what I think is right. If I wasn't an optimist in some degree, you have to believe you can change things for the better, or at least sustain something decent to to do this. Otherwise we'd be complete lunatics. But at the same time, I'm not a, a wild eyed optimist, meaning like, oh yes, everything's going to get better just because I wish it so. And that's going to be how it is. I'm world weary. The world is a freaking whacked out place. And you know, I'm, I come from on both sides of my family, my mom's side and my dad's side, Holocaust survivors. Like the world can be horrific, like unimaginably brutal as Jordan would say. And so I'm not, I'm not just blind in the, in the optimism. But I believe we can do something good. And I'll tell you, Michael Malice was sitting in that very chair a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the point that he's often made uh, is that, you know, they're not sending the best of the best. You know, if we're up against Joe Biden, who has dementia and AOC, who's an idiot and Ilhan Omar and Adam shit like these are it's a clown show of ridiculous people. Now, yes, could the WEF be controlling things above that? And they've stuck at you with Trudeau. And OK, fine. So we have to deal with all this stuff within the, the limited scope that we can talk about it something like that. Um, I'm bullish on, I would say, humans' ability to fight for freedom and, and come out on top. That is what the human story is. I would say I'm very, very bullish on what's going on here in Florida, and I think we have the blueprint for how we can fix America. I am not bullish on the country as a whole. So I really do think if, if it isn't DeSantis, if, if Biden gets in again or the Democrats get in again, the grand experiment might be over. That That is the black-pilled version. Like, I don't think we can sustain this thing much longer. The economic policies, the woke policies, all of it feels like it'll kind of be over at a national level. And then we'll have little states within, you know, we'll have, it'll be federalism as it was intended. I mean, Florida will flourish, but, you know, the feds will always move on Florida then, and they'll move on Texas, and they'll move on Montana. The blue states will always want what the red states have. It won't be the other way. 
and people will still want to come here. And I've said to DeSantis as a joke, you know, we should charge an entry tax now that I'm here. It's like people should have to pay to get in on this. 1,200 people a day move here. So when people are always like, oh, well, we should have this like great debate between California and Florida. It's like we've had the debate. People leave Cali every day. Nobody's leaving Florida. Was it, was it you who said it? Like the the, the uh, U-Hauls going cross country. Oh, yeah. They can't California, go back to Florida and not Florida. We back. basically we basically had to pay double for our U-Hauls because uh, we use but another company. But in essence, because they're all going west and then they stop in Texas. A lot of them stop in Texas and then might go to Florida, but nothing's going the other way anymore. It's not to say there's other people going to the other states, but the bulk of things. New York, Cali, Florida is there, Texas is in the middle. And they're all going one way and they don't know. And that normally in a normal business, okay, now you got to load up the truck on the way back to send it home. And now they're sending en empty trucks home. So uh, I, so in that regard, I'm, I'm optimistic because I see what's happening here. And I think that Florida, and, and I would say Miami specifically because it's the most metropolitan city here, is 30 years in the future. This is what America is supposed to be, what's going on here. We're diverse because nobody cares about diversity, meaning... Nobody cares, all right? There's Cubans there and there's Venezuelans there and there's a Mexican guy there and a, but nobody cares. It's completely irrelevant. We're rebuilding the tech sector here. Suarez has been absolutely incredible, the mayor related to that. I think Florida is fighting all the right fights in terms of everything that DeSantis has done. And we have no income tax. Um, the weather is great. Look, we had, we had a category five, the, as DeSantis called it, a biblical storm. This was a once in a hundred year storm that sat this thing, I don't know if you realize like actually how I big actually, this thing was. Well, I actually did not appreciate how how darn lucky we got. We're like mid mid panhandle or mid, oh yeah. no, mid, no 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 you're not mid panhandle. Well, you're in, you're east coast here. Yeah, we're east coast, but like we're halfway through, sort of like you know, it's the glades behind us, and then it's nothing. We're like twelve kilometers inland from from the Atlantic coast. Right, but this this hit the Gulf. Gulf. That's the thing. So we, we it missed us on it missed us on the, on the left. Right. So in and essence, I had no idea how how like I was like oh it's a, it's a hurricane. Part of the Florida hurricane season, I had no idea how how biblical it was. Oh, this thing was unbelievably massive, and it basically sat on Southwest Florida, so Sanibel Island and Fort Myers, blah blah. Anyway, I, I've been there. My my folks had a place on the island. It's in various states of disrepair. I've been to the island since. I mean, it's demolished, but they're rebuilding incredibly quickly. The bridge, there's the Sanibel Causeway. It's about a three mile bridge. It was demolished, like as if bombs went off, in uh, on election night. Um, I was at the DeSantis, I was broadcasting from the DeSantis uh, campaign and a guy came up to me and he said, Dave, uh, you might be interested in this story. He said, I, I'm a contractor in Fort Myers and two or three days after the hurricane, DeSantis came down and he got a whole bunch of us, electricians, contractors, cement guys. He got everybody together and he said, what do you guys need from me? And basically all everyone said was cut all the red tape, let us get to work immediately. They rebuilt the bridge in two weeks. He said it would have taken two years if the federal government was involved. That tells you everything you need to know. We're doing it. We're rebuilding roads here left and right. There's houses going up as fast as they can possibly go up. Florida does have one problem, which is that we have a, we have a housing price problem, but not where Cali has a housing price problem because it's propped up by BlackRock and all of these companies buying all of these houses. We have a problem here because so many people are moving in. You can only build things fast, you know, with a certain speed. So that will be dealt with too. And there's plenty of land to build. There still is. As packed as this state is, there's tons of land. But, you know, south of Miami, Homestead area, a little bit more towards the panhandle on the other side. There's a lot of land. So, like, we're doing everything right. So I'm very bullish on, on that model. But if DeSantis doesn't become president, not to say it can't be anybody else. If, if a Republican can get in and figure out a way to really dismantle a bunch of this stuff, 
then I would be bullish on America again. And I think that would be great. And by the way, that's why I would support DeSantis going. You know what I mean? Like the, it, to me, it would be the dream of we send out our best guy and he does the thing. That's the American dream, not because everything's wrapped up in politics, but because the dream of like, you can fix bad things. You can fight for things that are right. That would be a beautiful thing, but it's a dream and dreams don't always come true. Well, um, the, the one thing I find hilarious is we, we moved down from Canada. People in Canada have a stereotype of Florida in general, Florida man. I mean, anybody who doesn't know the gag, you go to yeah. put Florida man in, in, in the Google search engine, you'll find some hilarious stuff. He's wrestling an alligator wrestling with a cigar alligator. in his mouth and a little dog out of its mouth. Di and, dying, yeah, yeah. dying in weird ways, yeah, and doing yeah. silly things. Um, people, people poop all over Florida. And, and it seems that there's a fixation that I think is actually more rooted in jealousy than it is in disdain. Um, and there's a part of me that feels sympathetic to the people who would love to move here but can't and therefore have to demonize it and say I'm yes, happy, yes, I'm yes. happy in Kami California or Kami Canada. Um, thus far, it's it's been incredible. I, I I don't. The weather is nice, but I'd prefer seasons. The geography is nice, but I prefer mountains. Uh, you know, the, the fresh water is <laughs> nice, but is, I like swimming. Right. So this is hilarious. This is what you get from. So, but none of that. I know you're saying it sort of as a joke, but none of that. You would trade gladly those things that you don't have for the freedom that you a now have. A thousand percent. First off, it's also 75 and absolutely gorgeous well, today. I, I went up Right. So yes, you don't have hills. We don't have hills here. It's no a very flat No fresh water you can swim in without risking alligators. I went kayaking on one of the uh, go ponds. Sw go swim in the Gulf. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. No, but it, it is... Um, I would trade it all for freedom. Of course. And now I've got I've got three kids, and and we spent the last three years in Canada, masking up, uh, vaccine passports, living a life which I think is absolutely psychologically destructive for a child. And we get here, and my you know anecdote memory was when we were driving down, we're on our way, and you know we were at a hotel, and they didn't want to get into the elevator because someone else was in there, not because they were scared, but because where we're from, you, you know, don't do that yeah. <laughs> anymore. Oh, God. And it's just it's a beautiful thing to be here. And people demonizing it, I think it's more routed, rooted in, in jealousy than it is in anything real. I mean, well, look, have you paid attention to the last couple of days with this uh, DeSantis ban, this AP African-American studies course? So I, I mean, I, I know what people are saying about it and people are idiots. And they're saying that he's banning African studies when it was some gender ideology aspect of the studies. And I, I mean, I know it like I know it just reflexively. But then I see the people in Canada messaging me, my wife, like, hey, you know, this is what's going on in your state. And they don't understand a damn thing. But that's why the mainstream media is actually dangerous at this point. The corporate media is dangerous. I got a text over the weekend from a friend of mine who is he lives in, in L.A. Uh, he's basically red pilled, hasn't left yet. He's planning his exit, but he's still friends with a lot of like Hollywood liberal types. He said, I'm in a debate right now. He said, I'm sitting at Starbucks. I'm, at a, I'm in a debate right now about uh, DeSantis banning this AP American, uh, African-American studies thing. He's like, I don't know much about it, but it can't be true, is it? Um, and I was like, and I sent him a couple of articles. I sent him some of my tweets on it and you know, concise videos on it. But I was like, man, this is why the mainstream media is so evil. They are convincing people that somehow, we played some clips on The View. I mean, they, they have said some crazy, that he just wants to ban talk about slavery and civil rights. An AP class, an AP class, that means you're getting college credit as a high school student for this. They don't want gender queer theory. Was Harriet Tubman eating pussy? That's what they and, don't and want in there. Gender queer, like, it, it, this is why I say like, the left- Harriet Tubman eating pussy. Now you've heard me say it <laughs> twice today. <laughs> well, there's going to be another, another highlight. The, the idea of, the, the the trans movement being fundamentally homophobic misogynistic yeah um they cloak their uh objection to this law in 
anti-racism when it's fundamentally exploitive of Black History Month. Of say, course. We're gonna, let's sneak it in here, and then we're going to use Black history and African American, Black Americans to say DeSantis is a racist because he wants to. He wants to. Don't say black. I mean, it's like when they when when the first stories came out and they're saying he wants to ban studying of African American history or black history. I was like, okay, I was here for the don't say gay bill. So right. I so know it's like you know. Like, All right, give me a minute. Yeah, give me a but minute. It's, it's so exploited from the party that says we're not the racists, but we're going to dishonestly exploit Black History Month to further our ideological agenda. How do you get? the sane people to understand that the people who say that they're not the racists are the racists. No, but now do you see, I know you know this, but do you see why they need censorship? Why is it that they need to make sure that we're shadow banned and algorithmically depressed and what, everything else? It's because we're, we're shining a light on this nonsense. This is what DeSantis has done so well. And the more he shines the light, now they do new things. You see the new trick with DeSantis? They were, what was It was in, I think, Atlantic like a week ago. They were like, Trump was a unique threat because he fought the media. DeSantis is even scarier because he ignores us. <laughs> and it's like, man, he's doing what UMFers deserve. This is what you deserve. But they have kept a certain amount of people completely bamboozled and confused and brainwashed. And it is our job to outpace them. And that's sort of like, how fast can we red pill and how fast can they blue pill? And also they have, they have every advantage over us, but I don't know, I have nothing better to do than save the world. Like, let's go, let's go. Uh, you now are recently a father. Yes. There's a story, there's a whole backstory behind this. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I know you've shared some of it and I don't want to pry. I'll what was this? Explain how uh, a, a male couple yeah. ends up with, with, they're not twins, Yeah. but they, they'd be, they're like, there's nothing beyond Irish twins. Cause these are, Babies. These are these are tighter than Irish twins. So how did, how did this? Well, first happen? off, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. <laughs> I don't know what a woman is, but I know who who carried. The no, babies. no. We, I mean, without getting too lost in all the, like the stuff, like we we find an egg donor, right? You see, there's ways that you can go about and finding an egg donor. And our basic criteria for an egg donor was we wanted a girl that was that basically like I didn't want like a six foot four Swedish blonde woman. We wanted a woman that looked like maybe is the type of woman that I would have married if I had been straight or something, so that the kids would look somewhat roughly like us uh we got two eggs one with my sperm one with david's sperm and it's, it's very technical the doctor goes in i mean they can see the whole thing and they, they do it really cool. and then we had two two surrogates and these are the most wonderful it's all by choice no one is forced to do anything or anything like that these women uh both of them happen to be christian and believe that it was the, their duty that they have this incredible um uh power in the world that they can help people that want to have families have these families um, and uh, we, basically what happened, the reason that the kids are so close, they're two months to the day apart. And the reason for that is we had one surrogate who had a couple miscarriages and then they wouldn't allow her to be used anymore. As a side note, there was uh, during COVID, which is when we were doing this, our doctor said that he saw more miscarriages during COVID than he had ever seen basically in his 30 year career combined. That tells you a little something about stress, and, and this, this was, was this so was pre-vax, pre so that's so so that's not necessarily part yeah. of it. In any event, uh, when when the first surrogate got pregnant, uh, basically, I'm 46. We were just like, all right, if we really want to, we don't know if the next one if it's going to take how long it take, and then so we went for it, and then of course that one took immediately. So that's why they're they're so close. So in in life, they will really be twins in essence. They are biologically related through the through the mother's egg. Um, and so far so good. Like and they're on, happy on and healthy. End, and do you know who the, did, who we, the biological we, father is? We know who is who. Um, we have not told anyone, including our parents or anyone else. 
And in an interesting twist, most people are guessing wrong, which is kind of fun for us. And I think, I guess it'll just kind of present itself one day. Fantastic. And how do you find this? I mean, it's, this is, this, I, I, it, there can't be much more of a life altering um, in, in the best way. Yeah. Depending on well, what. it's it's the best way in in most ways in in most <laughs> well, to ways. Most people would be the best way. Some people say I would never do it again. It, it it compromised my career. But how do you make it work? And how are you finding the experience now? I mean, look, I especially in these last five years, as I always say, David, we have lived a very charmed existence. Like my career took off. We have means to do things. We went on cool vacations. Like we eat good food. Like I have the things that I want. I have a full court basketball court. Like I, I did the things and it's not, I can say that without guilt. Cause first off, I don't, I don't, I think if you work for something and attain it, it's actually quite beautiful. Um, but like I did all the work till I get, I, I don't mean that per, I don't mean that purely at the stuff level. I mean like at the, at the life level, I wake up and I do what I'm supposed to be doing, what I want to be doing every morning when I wake up and I'm like ready to do the show. Like if I take three days off, if one of my guys is on vacation and we, just take off a random day. I miss doing the show genuinely. When when I took a week off when Justin was born, or no, when Luke was born, Justin was born in August, so I was already off. But when when Luke was born, I was like, I miss doing the show. I'm I'm, I'm always like, oh man, I wanted to talk about that and blah. Um, so we've had something really really great. Then you add kids to it, and suddenly you're sleeping less, and I can't just lounge in the pool uh, with a tequila drink at two p.m. on a Saturday anymore. Like that's long gone. So there's, so I think in some ways. There's like a certain like, uh, this isn't quite the right word, but there's like, I have a little bit of like mourning for my old life, but I know how good it was to get me here. And then, you know, when I'm sitting with those kids in the morning, so I, my day, because my day is so packed, I try to do like a good hour in the morning. And then, you know, around five o'clock, I'm kind of wrapping up there awake till about eight. So then I have that time. But like when you're with them and like you're not on Twitter and they're smiling at you and you just can see the world in a new way in their eyes and you have the, I don't have to tell you this as a father, that it renews the spirit of like, I was fighting for a world that would be the best world I could live in, I suppose. But now I have to fight for a world that will be the best world they live in. And I think that may be another reason to, to get to what we talked about earlier about um, how, how you shift in your tactics when you're fighting. I think maybe I've become a little more direct because of that too. Like when I was seeing the, that whole nonsense around don't say gay and it's like, first off, I know the governor and the first lady, the idea that they're homophobes is ridiculous. They sent us onesies for the kids immediately. When I saw the first lady last time, all she wanted to do was see pictures of the kids. Like these are good people, but then you see the disconnect between the media and all that. And then it's like, man, I have these kids and I would not want someone else telling these kids anything that I, that I had no knowledge of or anything else. So it, it makes you want to fight for these things a little bit harder, I suppose. And, uh, something else, this will be for my own self-help edification. Yes. Stress, anxiety, and fear. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me what hair product I use. No, Cause I mean, no. my God, it's the, the everywhere, man. At, it's all I, over the place. I can see myself in your thing. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. The colors are changing and there's like a little yeah, gray no, it's, and there's a little orange. Having looked at you for the last hour, it starts it starts shifting like it's alive. It's like a, <laughs> well, it's, it, it's like uh it's like what you call it in Spider-Man Venom, you know, it's like the symbiote. It's like on you and you yeah, yeah. No, no. The uh, no, for no no hair tips, but yeah. stress, anxiety, fear. Like I, I remember in, in the first book, yeah. um you talked about the anxiety, you talked about the stress. Yeah. Uh a f the fear of impending doom yeah, yeah especially yeah. the world in which we're living like i, I yeah. not that i'm crazy but i might be a little crazy you know you go to bed at night and you say like if, if they're going to trigger a nuke over in europe <laughs> and there's going to be a tsunami what's right, it going right, to feel right. like um how, how do you deal with it 
And does it get better? Does it get worse? Or is it strictly a question of, of learning how to cope with it? Well, I think there's two parts to that. So one is just like the impending fear of doom at a societal level, that things are so nuts and humans have such technological power, whether with nukes or EMPs or what the internet has done to us. And we're on like the precipice of all being like slaves to robots and like all of that kind of crazy stuff. You can spend a certain amount of time thinking about it and then you just have to shelve it. And somehow I've been able to mostly do that. I think partly the reason that I didn't go crazy, I say this and people think I'm joking when I say this, but you know, over the last couple of years where so many people went nuts, I've, I love sci-fi movies. So much of my childhood, whether it's Total Recall or AI or I Am Legend or iRobot or The Matrix or any Philip K. Dick story, like I love so much of that dystopian stuff and V for Vendetta and um, just like the list goes on and on that I was sort of pre not prepared for this because you never prepared for that day where they locked you in your house and you can't believe what's going on. But like understanding what power is and and just like this weird disconnect between reality and what we're thinking like a lot of the stuff that i've always loved and and even the freaking believe it or not viva the star wars prequels laid out a great story about the accumulation of power and how you can use both sides against each other to actually you can pull the strings to make that happen and blah blah blah, blah. i'll show you a great twitter thread i have on that that'll blow your mind related to covid and the prequels I was somewhat prepared for some of that stuff. So I think I think you have to kind of move off the big ones, right? Like, could the nuke be dropped while we're sitting here? Yes, but you know what? We sat here, we enjoyed ourselves, is what it is. On the on the personal side of like, you're in it now, right? Like you're in the thing. Would, would the machine love to destroy you? Would the machine love to take me out and all that stuff? I told you about the news guard thing. Like yeah. they're always planning hit pieces, but none of it does anything anymore. And, and yes, is there always another way that they can do something and do they do horrible things and all of that? I can't sit here and say the answer is no, but I just think that if, if, you're, if you're just and decent and you just keep going, how about this? I'll even, I'll even slightly alter what I was going to say. You have no freaking choice, my friend. You cannot stop yourself now. And, and so you better get on board. Meaning you can't stop yourself from saying what you think. You can't stop yourself from being part of this thing. There is nothing you can do until the day that you don't do it anymore. But, the, but you are not anywhere close to that day. Now, that day might come when you're 72. Um, and maybe that day comes when I'm 54. But, but I'm nowhere close to it yet. You cannot stop yourself. Are there times where I'm like, man, I shouldn't be screaming about the FBI that much. They're not good. They might say <laughs> bad things about me like I am. But then like what, but what, what uh, otherwise, what are we, what are we doing here? If not to fight for something that's better. That, well, that, it's an interesting way of putting it. Like you, you can't stop. I think once you get on the path and not in a bad way. Yeah. Like once you realize uh, you can't not say what you're thinking when it's the most obvious uh, logical thing, you can't stop. And then you're on a trajectory that you can't get off of anyhow, because actually it, it's better. Don't say what you think. Well, Don't I, fight for I, what's I right. You should just protect your own and, and see well, what happens. Like frog pot. Tend to your yeah. garden. Yeah, the, well, the frog pot. No, but I, I remember back in the day, like watching Christina Blasey Ford yeah. uh, and the and the machine go after Kavanaugh. And yeah. I'm sitting there saying, OK, well, I want to be objective. Let me look at this from both sides. And, you know, Christina Blasey Ford, she could be a she could be a victim. I think she's a victim of something. Might be a few things, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then you realize just how insidious it all is. Yes. And then, okay, now do you even speak up when the FBI can six ways from Sunday to go get after as you? Chuck Schumer as Schumer said, all, yeah. and like drudge up something that prob probably didn't happen in any version of reality at all. Thirty years old to destroy you as you go through. 
I, at some point you just want to give up and stop talking because it, it you feel that it's I know, but, but the thing is you can't, you, you just can't, I can't exactly explain why, but humans have been through worse than whatever we're going through right now. This is a unique challenge because of the tech side of this, where it's, it's fueled by things that are artificial and, and weird and ununderstandable where, you know, back in the day, you know, uh, did you watch Downton Abbey by any chance? Uh, I think I may have seen one. Oh, oh okay. So you didn't, so, no, no. So you didn't, you know, Downton Abbey basically took place in, in England, uh, in the right around when the Titanic, it's the first episode is when the Titanic sinks. One of the things that the family is most worried about. So this is early 1900s for the most part into, into world war two, basically, I think is where it sort of started ending. Um, but one of the th things the family is most worried, about, they hate the media because the media is always lying about them and the media. And so maybe the media has always been like. And maybe we didn't know it. And maybe we all thought Walter Cronkite was so great, but actually he wasn't so great. I don't know. I suspect he probably was pretty good relative to what we have now. But the point is, you just, there's no, there's no way around it. The, the truth is the truth. And if you're attracted to the truth, if you value the truth, you cannot do anything against it. And um, as Jerry said to George, good luck with all of that. And now I think before I forget, uh, are we able to go to Locals exclusive now so we can get some of the questions from Locals? And I've got a few more questions, which I think a few I actually more, haven't asked. Just for the, the good stuff. How long have we been going for, Dave? I have no idea. Uh, An hour and 52 minutes? Sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus Louise is right. <laughs> I got a sick kid at home. I got to get out of here. All right, let's go. 15 <laughs> minutes. Here okay, we go. That's it. No, no, we're not even. We'll do it. Okay, so no, no, we're 15. To, we're good. We're good. We're going to go to Locals, or are we already on Locals? How nice that studio looks. Look at that. 40 seconds, then we're going to go to Locals. Everybody who's watching on Rumble, VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com is the locals community. I don't know why I have to figure out the way I'm sitting, posturing. Got a cramp no, 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 in my no. left you hip. Get, oh, you got the left hip cramp? VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com for some exclusive stuff. See you there. Everyone who's already there, I'm going to go to this thing. Tap again because I don't seem to see the. Oh, wow. Look oh, at there this. We go. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's nice. Isn't that nice? The way I mean, we built this thing. You know, originally it's... it was in a separate box. Now we're Instagram level right over the screen Dave, there. It's... You're awesome, Dave. It's... Love you, Serena Reppins. Fuck talking about um, the issue. Take yeah. away the structure. We oh my god! Now the chat's going too fast. Fix now, the chat. It is not loading when you scroll up. Bullhorn. Looks pretty good to me. Okay, interesting, Viva. Uh, now I know who Dave Rubin is. Yeah, we. I think we. I mean, the thing is, we. I, I went over our first interview just so I wouldn't rehash too much of the stuff. But I think yeah. I, I got more out of you. Not more out of you, just more into who you are, Dave. Question: I've been dying to know. I mean, I think I know the answer because I think the answer is obvious. When does? When do you know you're gay? Uh, this is what we're gonna do. No, no, no. This is the first people. one. This is the first one. Just because, like, I, yeah. I and I feel bad even. I, I think like it's it's innate. You just yeah. know. But, yeah, yeah. But there's social pressures when you're growing up. Where, you, but today I imagine kids are like, okay, it's it's not the same internal strife that it might have been. Yes. So years so ago. I had from twelve or even earlier than that. I definitely had this long internal strife about this thing, and I had like this disconnect between again because I liked sports and whatever. I didn't, I thought gay meant you like the theater and you like to dance. And trust me, you don't even want to see me. I dance like Bill Cosby. Like you don't want to see it. I like, and you can't even make a Bill Cosby joke anymore. Because <laughs> I was that's gonna, a whole I was other thing. Say, I, I wasn't going to. Yeah. Um, so I, I had this huge disconnect. And by the way, that, that disconnect, and I talked about it a little bit in the first book, it caused a lot of problems for me, like in terms of drugs and sexual behavior and all sorts of stuff, because I couldn't combine my life into something that would be a sort of Jordan Peterson, like get your life in order and, and fix your room and then fix the world kind of thing. So it left me, I mean, I was closeted into my mid twenties, almost into my late twenties to some people that will really screw you up. It's very hard to live one life, much live two lives or three or four. 
that's why in the that's why the phrase the closet is good because I always say there's only room for one in there. And and so I really, really, really struggled for that for a long time. And that's why it's also ironic, like, and it's why I don't care to I don't mind the question, obviously, but it's why I don't really care to talk about this because it's like if someone wants to know about my relationship or now being a father or whatever, like I'm happy to talk about that. But it's like one facet of my life that just sort of happens to be and not much more than that. It, it really isn't. That's why the LGBTQ, I don't know what the hell any of that is. I don't really want anything to do with it. If somebody is struggling with their sexuality or something, like I, I'd like to help them to the extent that I can. It's also why I think it's sort of hilarious when these lunatics on the left are always going after me and I'm a sellout because I, I'm with people on the right and the right hates gays. It's like all of these people, like I've shared broken bread with all of these scary right wingers and they come to my parties and we hang out and they're much more pleasant and decent. And we can honestly discuss, I don't know if you saw it, I did a two and a half hour discussion with Jordan Peterson on his channel about about gay marriage and how when you change an institution, what the risks are in that and all of those things. And there's honest discussions to be had. But I would say in, a, in the most ironic sense possible, I've probably done more for the gays, not because it was my intention, but just by living my life than any of these lefty dingbats have done by constantly just yelling at people that they're a bunch of homophobes. Generally not the way to get people to come around to your position. No, but, and what, I, what, I, what drives me nuts just in general is it's, it's, um, it's insidious, the, the identity politics where you reduce people from individuals to attributes. Yeah. And it, it's like it becomes the only, the only source of discussion, the only source of analysis. And Imagine if, if I could only vote one way because of my sexuality. Like my foreign policy is dictated by my sexuality. My well, feelings I, about the estate tax are dictated by my sexuality. You know, like it's insane. My feelings on policing dictated by my sexuality. It's, it's absolutely insane. But that's why the Democrats need to keep going on everything. They, they have no coalition unless they have a coalition of broken, compromised wingnuts, basically, instead of fully formed people.